Boom. Hello and welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast with your host, Byron Rogers. This podcast is dedicated to the executive protection practitioner, the private security professional. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective executive protection agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect her children or a father that's focused on how to protect his family, I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, Enjoy the show. Out. Boom. Hey, what's up, guys? Byron Rogers here with BRG, Bravo Research Group, a boutique company out of Orange County, California, and Executive Protection Lifestyle. Today, I have with me a guest, actually from my past, uh, Barry Mosian. How are you doing today, sir? Good, good. Glad to be here. Outstanding. It's an honor to have you on the show because Barry, back in the day, uh, him and Kane um, of Talent Executive Services, they were one of the first companies that gave me a chance when I was like coming up and had to start finding work in California. Uh, so it's an honor to have you on here, man. It's an honor to be on. It's it's amazing. Uh, you know, uh, never ceases to amaze me how ambitious you are and how uh, inventive and entrepreneurial you are. So this is both uh, an honor and not surprising at all. <laughs> It'll be long before you are king of the world, my friend. Oh, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, like, so I guess you guys, I've with with the listeners, I've spoken before about kind of like chasing the pager and like um, working for a number of different companies and stuff like that. And so this right. was kind of the period of my life when I was working with a couple of different companies and like chasing emails and stuff like that. Sure. Um, and so that's really, you know, how I came in contact with Talon. Um, and you guys were, you know, you guys were awesome to work with and uh, Talon was definitely a company that, uh, like you can't just, you don't just walk in here. I mean, you can, you can try, but it's like kind of a referral system that like balances and manages things, uh, in the industry really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's kind of, uh, in the private sector, you know, the challenge I think is, is that, and you experienced this when you first came in, met with us, with Kane and I, is that we really don't, except if we have a large project, uh, some sort of a GSA project or something where we need to really kind of extend our roster and, and bring in, uh, you know, fresh blood or some specialty talent. Yeah. Uh, we only bring in people by referral. And that is, as, mm-hmm. as we were talking about before we got on recording, somebody who's willing to put their name on you. And as you know, that's so important in this business because it's a small world. It's a small gene pool from which yeah. people that work in this business that are serious and actually make this their, their career uh, are pulled from and your reputation is everything. And so that's, yeah. you know, that's an important thing. So that's part of the filtering process, the vetting process that we use here at Talon. Heck yeah. 
And I love it, man. I love yeah. it. I, is going out on my first detail and knowing that, you know, my guy, I'm, I'm wearing my guy's jersey. You know, it's like, that's right. Talk, it's like, you know, his, he's, his DNA is like on you. It could be two or three years later, you make a mistake, they're going to look back at your dude and be like, this your boy right here? This is your boy right here? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a funny process because when you think about it, you know, it's not unlike, um, it's not unlike a, a vetting or filtering process in a, you know, um, you know, military unit, a police special teams unit or something like yeah. that. Uh, you know, even all the way up to SOCOM type based units where you will go for a school or you will go for training on the recommendation of a commanding officer, uh, you know, senior NCO who puts your name in that type of thing. So it's the same thing in private sector, but even more importantly in private sector it's, it's such a difficult environment to truly ply this trade in because when you go and stand a post with another private sector guy for a shop, you may not have had the opportunity to shoot and move together, to train together, to spool up for that particular op. And it may be something where you're doing a hasty op order and you're getting out and you have a basic understanding, but you don't have a complete understanding. And so you've got to be able to get out there, know that management and supervisors are behind you with good intel and know that your your partner that you're standing next to is, you know, to, to borrow a phrase from uh, Travis Haley, is a thinker before a shooter, yeah. but also know, has your back and, and are squared away. You have to trust management has done their vetting process and that this guy is going to be squared away or this gal in, mm-hmm. in very, very rare instances is going to be squared away and can uh, not, only, not only provide the service, protect the client, but also be your partner and protect each other. So private sector, I find it's super important. It's incumbent upon us as, as leaders in the business to ensure that we're putting guys out on the, in the field that, that are quality, that will protect each other, that will protect the client, and again, be thinkers before shooters and not, uh, not just go out there and create a crime scene for us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And then also, but something I, I think I've noticed is the person who brings you to the table uh, can give you like a more of a spotlight. Like you might get a little more street cred if say like a Mustafa brings you in oh, yeah. than like a low level oh, yeah. guy, you know? Absolutely. No, that's a fact. That's absolutely the case. Yeah. yeah. That's absolutely the case. Yeah. So it pays to have, you know, solid guys bring you to the table too. That's another thing. And that basically makes it so that, you know, the work product that's expected of you is a little bit more in alignment and keeping with the guy that brought you, brought you in the door. You know. Exactly. And you don't want to let that guy down yeah. who put his name on you. And so that motivates good performance in most cases. And, you know, really kind of brings out, you want to be your best professional. You know, if somebody's put their name on you because, you know, while it certainly doesn't, doesn't necessarily sink somebody else's reputation. If, if a guy you bring in doesn't do well, stumbles, whatever the case is, but nobody wants to go through that. Nobody wants to say it call up the, you know, your mentor or, or, you know, a guy that brought you in and you say, Hey man, sorry, but I, I fell down on this one. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to have that conversation. Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. You might have just mail him your pinky or something. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and then, well, while we're on this topic, um, are there any specific things you look for when you're bringing new guys onto the team characteristics of good agents? Absolutely. So it's dependent upon their background. Um, If they're coming to us from private sector, purely private sector, no law enforcement or military experience, what we're looking for is um, 
you know, they don't have to be high speed, low drag. They don't have to be some tier one guy or anything like that. They need to be dependable. Uh, they need to, you know, and that dependability is really an objective measure of, of their footprint out there in the world. So are they responsible, uh, responsible adult? Do they, you know, uh, we're not looking for Boy Scouts necessarily. It doesn't, you don't have to have a, you know, squeaky clean record, but obviously, uh, you know, you, you've got to make sure that you're as squared away as possible. No DUIs, no uh, mutual combat charges, no, you know, things where, uh, yeah, you want to have somebody who's not afraid to get into a fight and get hands on if you have to, but I prefer them not to do that on a regular enough basis yeah. to, uh, to be caught, put in jail. My, my uh, first sergeant used to tell me, look, I don't give a shit if you go out and get into a fight. Apologies mm-hmm. for the language, but uh, just don't get caught. Don't let those MPs catch you, man. If, right. You know, it's not that you got into a fight that shows poor judgment. It shows poor tactics that you got caught. Yeah, you weren't a professional about it. Exactly. You didn't have a plan to get out of there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in all seriousness, with private sector guys, what we're looking for is dependability employment. Um, obviously, how they interview, uh, you know, things that show character, whatever their sports, you know, involvement, uh, those kinds of things. Law enforcement, it's going to be specific to what they did in law enforcement. And then um, military, it's also going to be specific to what they did, uh, what branch, what they did, and all of that. So uh, we have a very kind of specific screening process. So depending on the on the background of the individual, private sector, uh, law enforcement, or military, or a combination of those three, uh, we're looking for dependability, um, quality of character, obviously experience, and um, a well-defined idea of what they're looking for in an EP shop. You know, okay. it, it, this is obviously going to be an exchange of, of services and an exchange of, you know, a certain uh, beginning point of building trust and, and kind of professional rapport with each other. It's always good to know what both parties want out of the relationship and then set those expectations, define them up front, and then, you know, set a path to succeeding in achieving those. So, it, are, you know, is the, is the potential candidate agent going to be somebody who's looking for pickup work? Is it somebody who's looking for uh, to broaden their skill set? They want to learn uh, interrogation and investigative technique. Uh, do they want to some at some point be a DL force? Do they want to be an account uh, manager force? Um, what do they want? So we define those up front. Awesome. Okay. So basically it's kind of like asking someone like, um, what do you know about the job essentially? Like, what are you here for? That's right. What do you think, you know, based on their CV, I'll, I'll get an idea of their experience level. And if they're fairly experienced, um, then I know what they expect out of, they expect out of uh, EP work. But if, you know, depending on who they are, I'll ask them what, what are your expectations of doing executive protection in CONUS, you know, domestically? Um, how do you think that works? Because you can tell a whole lot about someone's mentality based on what they're expecting or how they think it works. Exactly. I mean, you. I mean, I'm talking to the, yeah, like. I yeah, mean, no, you're absolutely right, man. Spot on. Because they're either going to start being like talking about their sub-second draw. We've got a whole other best. category for the EPSIC shooters. Right? Yeah, we had to, uh, you know, like. Like uh, when we interviewed Luke, we had to uh, we had to put him in the boy wonder chamber to so yeah. control his gamma radiation that was coming off of him. 
Because <laughs> he's a special category. He sure is. <laughs> yeah, he's a wonderkind. Wonderkind. Yeah, yeah, man. No, he's awesome. That that's funny. That's great. That's good gouge. Okay, so background before we get too deep into things. Yeah, yeah. Legendary question. What is your background? All right. So uh, back uh, at another time, I was uh, U.S. Army Intelligence Corps. I was part of a LRSU team or a LERS team. And this would have been mid-80s to mid-90s. Um, did eight years active, uh, a little bit of time reserve after that. Um, saw some things, did some things. And uh, essentially, our task and focus was uh, we were in support at the time, the uh, order of battle in the U.S. Army and the focus of the battle brigades as they were structured at that time. And this would have been in the days when there were still light infantry units, light infantry divisions uh, that were stood up. 7th Infantry, uh, 7th Light Infantry out of Fort Ord would be a good example. That would be utilized to deploy rapidly um, within that same uh, rapid deployment cycle, an 18-hour cycle anywhere in the world that uh, the 82nd or 101st or, uh, you know, uh, Marine Expeditionary Forces, uh, you know, tasked to be able to respond to for low, you know, the quote, low intensity conflict era, right? Hmm. And so um, the LERS teams that were stood up at the time were intended to support with real-time field intelligence. And of course, this would have been pre, pre-drone, like where drones were being used in any great extent at all. Um, you did have aerial reconnaissance, you had forward observers, and in the, you know, um, end of the Marine Corps, there was obviously Anglico and different, you know, reconnaissance teams like that, force recon and whatnot. But uh, LERS teams in my day were primarily field intelligence specialists that had limited direct action capability, um, but focused primarily on gathering intel Um you know, anywhere from at the demarcation line for uh, enemy territory all the way back to, you know, 200, 250 clicks back in to assess and provide ongoing intel for um, enemy uh, logistics. And this would have been targeted for, uh, you know, nations, uh, nation state militaries that were um, trained and supported by Warsaw Pact nations. So typical comm block type structure and setup. Mm-hmm. find their supply lines, find their leadership, find their combo lines, take them down, bring in airstrikes, that type of thing. Uh, we were also sniper capable, sniper trained for interdiction. And we were also uh, trained and capable to do snatch and grabs and grab personnel for intelligence and interrogate and prep for, for transfer to the real spooky guys. Heck yeah. Yeah. So from there, um, I did my eight, uh, active, was getting ready to re-up. I had a signing bonus lined up and everything. Mm-hmm. And one of my former um, COs had ETS and had started up with a group that had an opportunity in the private sector to make a lot more money uh, with a lot fewer people shooting at you. Mm-hmm. And that sounded like a good opportunity to me. And I really knew this uh, individual. He was a great mentor. He's since passed on, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really trusted him and he took me under his wing and introduced me into the private sector uh, at the corporate level of doing uh, corporate counterintelligence, investigative work with an emphasis towards uh, protection of personnel and resources for high end R and D stuff, whether it's 
it, what it ultimately ended up being out here on the West Coast, and this was a West Coast, East Coast combination, but the um, operational wing of the company is what I joined, and we spec'd hardened sites that were going to be used for uh, data storage for research and development material. And that was for, um, in the early days of computer development, in the early days of biomed development in Southern California, um, uh, Silicon Valley, as well as back in the Northeast in the uh, Boston, Massachusetts corridor, where there was a lot of tech development happening early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, and into through the 2000s and so on. So um, anyways, we started to build that outfit it was a company by the name of uh, Data Vault that ended up growing and expanding, ended up getting purchased wholesale turnkey by uh, Iron Mountain. Uh, Iron Mountain picked them up as a kind of a boutique turnkey operation for hardened data sites. And um, from there, I moved to a national uh, corporation that had a corporate in-house internal investigations team. They liked the approach and technique that we used and uh, were with them for a while. Uh, transitioned to uh, confidential management services, which was um, not a competitor, but a, a um, contemporary to talent executive services. Uh, the owner founder of confidential management services, Peyton Shore, had some DOJ investigations experience and had refined what ultimately became our interview technique and, and uh, process and protocols. And that's where I met uh, uh, Kane and Kane and I ended up being, um, which sounds so weird to say now, but we ended up being the lineage holders of that interview technique and process, which is essentially to cut to the chase is a, is a adaptation, a private sector adaptation of the Reed Institute methods of um, polygraph interrogation and uh, human behavioral interrogation with a little bit of um, a little bit of Wicklander Zalaski mixed in, uh, which is a private sector outfit, uh, um, some former Illinois copper, Chicago cops that created a system. So at any rate, uh, we took that system, packaged it together. So uh, spooky. <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's really not. It's really yeah. not. I mean, look at me. I'm harmless. Come on. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we took that, uh, uh, Peyton uh, took that system, packaged it up, and was able to successfully market that to companies and corporations that did not want to have in-house uh, talent handle internal investigations or intellectual property or counterintelligence operations. Heck yeah. They could just simply call their attorneys, their attorneys would call us and we would come in and help them recover IP, help them deal with internal problems that were leaking IP. And then of course, if there was threat of violence or any of those types of things, we would help as well. And CMS and talent executive services were partnering on a number of different projects when tragically, um, Peyton died in a plane crash and uh, through a couple of jumping through a couple of hoops, uh, the team from CMS merged into Talon uh, executive services and we became one team. And that was 17 plus years ago. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a hell of a ride. Yeah. And that was 17 plus years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. Right. Yeah. Good to go. Good to know, man. That, Stuff like, it, it interests me, man, because, you know, I'm the double psych, so I did my whole bachelor's in psychology, and now I'm finishing forensic psychology here. And he, yeah. 
few months. And, um, yeah, I guess that feeling that people get when they're like, Oh, you're a psychology major. Are you trying to read me? You know, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. now you're all talking about the interrogation piece. And I'm like, <laughs> I wonder what he's seeing right now. You know, <laughs> it is. That's really cool. That's really interesting. And yeah. so that's really where all the workplace violence stuff or it types of cases come to you guys because of that, that background. Yeah, no, exactly. And really, the the thing that made the transition or the merging of the CMS team into the talent team really so seamless was that Ron Williams, the founder and CEO of uh, Talent Executive Services and Talent Companies, 23-year veteran Secret Service, and he took the model of the typical Secret Service field office of providing protective services, fraud investigations, high-level banking fraud, uh, financial fraud investigations, and cyber, uh, Secret Service, it's not well-known really out there, but the Secret Service was one of the first, if not the first, um, federal law enforcement agency to establish a computer forensics lab Mm -hmm. in every field office to be able to acquire uh, what is commonplace now, to acquire um, exact mathematical duplication of uh, hard drives on computers. Uh, to be able to use them for evidentiary purposes. And so that combined push of cyber investigative know-how and technology and human intel or humans, technique and capabilities, merge those together, that's a secret service model. And at least as it applies to private sector and to business and critical infrastructure in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so Ron was able to take that model and try to recreate it. Now, that's easier said than done. It's hard to do. Uh, didn't take the first couple of times that he attempted it. Uh, but when uh, my team and, you know, Ron and I, we got together, it, it worked. It made sense. We had the same objectives and goals. And so now that's pre- precisely what we provide to private sector companies, Fortune 1000 and up, that, again, don't want to take on the risk, the inherent risk, and, the, you know, the, the expense of having this type of talent in-house all the time waiting for bad things to happen. Outstanding. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So that's that's uh that's kind of how all that came together, but that's how that's how that component of it came together and one of the other aspects of what we do. So what we provide is a complete seamless package of again, corporate investigations, both cyber and human intel side of it, mm-hmm. protective services at the level of and, and sophistication and coordination of, of uh, Secret Service, um, FBI, and uh, State Department Protection, Protection Bureau following similar protocols as they apply in private sector uh, to companies and corporations, which also includes uh, psychological um, assessments and evals. So what we try to provide is the services um, that federal law enforcement or a sophisticated metropolitan law enforcement agency like NYPD, LAPD, so on, would provide to a private sector organization Sweet. that's experiencing threat, cyber breach, um, threats of violence, uh, human intel uh, issues, intellectual property theft, those kind of higher level white collar type crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, you know uh, the Bureau is overwhelmed. Their main mission and focus is Chase and Tan goes all over the place and uh, ultra high fraud and, you know, bank fraud 
So anything from our sweet spot, we like to say is, you know, $50,000 up to $5 million for fraud investigations. You pick up the phone, call the bureau for that. They're going to give you a case number and spend a pleasant 15 minutes on the phone with you if you can get an agent. But then they're going to say, we'll get back to you. Uh, so, you know, we fill that gap and provide similar services um, that help resolve those matters. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Good to go. What would you say was um, a defining moment for you in your career? A moment when things may be either a defining moment or probably one of the wilder moments you've experienced in this industry. (laughs) Well, for on the wilder moment side, I've had a number of kind of epiphanies throughout my, my, Time in the private sector. Awesome. This is the time and place, man. Rabbit holes. <laughs> we welcome all of it. But one of the one of the more kind of uh, you know exciting moments that contributed to all the uh, graybeard stuff here is uh, there was a trip down south. Uh, we were um, this is all private sector. We were tasked with providing a large PSD for a big Fortune 100 um, corporate team that was visiting. Um, a new manufacturing location and technical research lab just south of the border, the U S border that is. Okay. And, um, it was essentially great client, great opportunity, but it was going to be a shit sandwich logistically because it was just too big of a, of a group to move at the level they needed to move. Uh, we were talking at that time, I think it was 15 plus executives and these were C-suite level executives, some uh, Inconas from U.S., some from international offices and so on. So it's a huge uh, U.S.-based organization, but a multinational footprint. Yeah. So um, For the listeners real quick, C-suite? Uh, um, C-suite, executive suite. So CEO, CFO, mm-hmm. CIO, uh, folks, the, the shot callers at the organization. Yeah, CEO, yeah. Yeah, and so we had to move a group of them from uh, from the San Diego area down south for a series of meetings and back. So we went about, you know, doing our normal op order, did our reconnaissance and all that stuff. And this was some time ago. So it was before this was more commonplace as it is now with Sony mm-hmm. studios and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, the Sony details. So um, I was down doing the reconnaissance. We had, Affiliates that we work with in the in the Mexican military down south, contacts and that type of thing that help us uh, kind of grease the skids and make things happen and you know, help movements and in-bus and debus moments and those types of things. Yeah. This was right when the cartel action was starting to heat up in that zone, in that area. Okay. So, um, myself and uh, one of my staff were functioning as the advance team. Did all our advanced work, everything was great, made all the contacts, everything we had to do. Day of the op, we get moving, get down there, everything's great. Um, Passed several checkpoints, uh, which is normal. They were local law enforcement, not federales. And uh, so uh, everything was everything was good. Couldn't couldn't beat it, which of course meant nothing. You know, the return trip was gonna go to hell. Yeah, right? Murphy's around the corner with a baseball. Murphy's bat. just laughing. He's like, Oh yeah, you think you're home free, don't you? Yeah, right. I got something for you. Yeah, <laughs> how you like me now? So we end up coming back, start running the advance on the way back. And as it turns out, the checkpoint team of uh, uh, Mexican police, local police that were on, uh, they didn't tell us that there was a shift change that was coming up. 
And so all, all of the prearrangement that we'd had with our uh, Mexican military contacts wasn't with this new team that was coming <laughs> on. All disappeared, went up like, you know, like smoke. So at any rate, um, we come up to the checkpoint, we check in. It, it, I've got a 15 vehicle motorcade coming back through. Um, and we hadn't moved operationally from a tactically standpoint. We hadn't moved to low, lower profile vehicles at the time. So it was, you know, 15 blacked out Tahoes, right? Yeah, screaming detail. Yeah. So they knew what was rolling down the road. It was something that had money behind it and whatnot. Yeah. So these these young men started, you know, they had me proned out over the hood of the of the uh, of the vehicle we were. Oh using. no! Oh yeah! No! Yeah. And they had my driver who was bilingual. I understand. I understand a little bit of Spanish, but I don't. I'm not fluent by any means. Yeah. Um, they had our IDs out. They had all the IDs kind of laid out. Oh. You know. And they were looking to they were looking to make something happen. Yeah, paid. And when I say proned out over the hood, it uh-huh. wasn't just a two man checkpoint. It was a you know eight to ten man checkpoint. Uh-huh. Four of them still running the checkpoint and making their making their money like they do. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other ones had two guys with uh, G three H and Ks on us. Yeah. You know, no finger, no trigger discipline at all, right? Oh. You know, young, <laughs> young guy just out of, uh, you know, you know, Academy, one with yeah. his finger on the trigger. It was, it was definitely a sweaty moment. Yeah. And on top of, unfortunately, my, my partner who was doing the advance with me was a uh, reserve officer um, from a reserve officer from an undisclosed uh, agency up north here. Heck yeah. And uh, he was still active at the time. So he was talking and chatting and he was looking and watching. Um, and, you know, he, he saw one of the, um, one of the uh, Mexican police pull his back up out of his holster. It was a little uh, chief special 38. It was going to dump it in our vehicle. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It was going to be like that. Yeah. You know, so you know, probably the, the, thing that would have went down is, hey, look, we found this weapon, never seen yeah. that weapon, blah, blah, blah. And then it would have been, okay, what can we do about this from there? Yeah. Mind you, this whole time, I've got Good 15 point. vehicles coming down the road, yeah. and we got to get through this checkpoint. So we had been able, before we got proned out, we'd been able to launch a um, uh, text message on a secure platform to our contacts in the Mexican military, and it took about eight minutes for them to get there. And once they got there, it, everything was fine. Everything was good. Oh, my goodness. You know, they rolled up with the appropriate amount of uh, force. Every, yeah. And lights rolling, uh, you know, Humvees, the whole bit. Uh, and then when the Commandante got out of his uh, Humvee, uh, those uh, gentlemen in the, uh, in the dark blue police uniforms decided that they wanted to do something else that afternoon. Yeah. So they all said thank you, gave me all the ID stuff back, and, you know, my partner and were fine. And quite literally, as the motorcade was coming around, we radioed, you know, they said, you know, is everything clear? They paused for a moment. We radioed, everything's code four, keep moving. They rolled around and we had the extra complement of the military uh, uh, Humvees that were on site with yeah. that, uh, that uh, they rolled by. And so the client didn't know anything. It was a problem. They yes. thought, oh, this is awesome. And, you know, Guys, they've they've got military folks out here. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. 
So I don't know if that was good karma or just dumb luck, but it worked out. That is fantastic. Yeah. So that was, that was a pretty exciting moment. It was definitely a, you know, pucker factor 10 kind of situation because it could have gone a lot differently. Heck yeah. From about to get, from getting gutted for some extra Skrilla on your way through Mexico to scoring a three point shot with the client, everything smooth. And that is, that's the game right there. Yeah. And that's the way it goes sometimes, you know, some days, you know, you eat the bear and some days the bear eats you. So got lucky that way, but that was a good one. Uh, Along the way though, I think, you know, some of the other kind of epiphany moments that helped define whether I wanted to stay in this, you know, private sector yeah. It was always something that talked at me about, you know, staying in the military and, and you know, doing 25, 30, whatever. Yeah. Um, was where I where I would be best utilized and not just be another number. Even in the job I was doing in the military, you know, had a certain amount of, of you know, it was fun as hell. Definitely mm-hmm. good work for a young man. Yeah. Um, and it was making a difference in the national, you know, uh, agenda and what we had to do in the world to project – America's, you know, uh, power overseas and that type of thing. And I hundred percent believe in that and was willing to spend a whole career in that. But I also knew that there was more to life and I wanted to be able to have a family and not put them and subject them to that. So getting into private sector was a little iffy for me because I wanted to find that balance between being able to have a decent private life with a family and raising kids and all of that, which is important to me, but also being a protector. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and being able to provide those services in, in, you know, not only domestically, but also OCONUS outside of the U S for, for clients and do it in a way that had integrity and, and had focus on the trade craft and the skill set and not just for the money. Yeah. Yes. For the money. I'm not a philanthropist being got to earn a living, got to put the kids through school, Important, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be honorable work. It's gotta be work that is honorable, high integrity, and you're making a difference in people's lives. And, um, it, and so that's, you know, there have been moments along the way where doing a good job, making a difference in a client's life, uh, avoiding a bad situation, uh, that type of thing has definitely um, been gratifying and has reinforced that I made the right decision those many years ago to give the private sector a shot. But the thing that sticks with me every time we're out on even a low threat protection detail or doing investigative work to help a company survive a, a you know, a, a betrayal moment where somebody steals you know, intellectual property that could literally crash an entire company and put a lot of people out of work. Moments like that, as we have a significant success for a client, for our team, uh, everybody goes home safe, every, you know, client, everybody on our team. Those are the moments that are actually for me are epiphanies every single time and reinforce the reason I got into the private sector. As I was saying earlier, I, you know, could have, I could have seen myself staying in the military doing 2530. That would have been gratifying had I survived it, you know, with all my limbs and everything functioning properly. Um, But it's a very specific kind of uh, lane, you know, and it's doing good work and out there doing things that are good for the country. But what I find in private sector that is really, gratifying is that especially in the u.s um where the work might be a little less sexy and it might seem a little more mundane is we do make a difference protection professionals um 
you know, uh, professional investigators, uh, you know, private sector counterintelligence guys, intelligence uh, officers are doing good work when they're doing it for the right reasons and helping good people out there because you are helping companies survive. You're helping people keep food on the table for their kids and their families. And you're helping protect them in a moment of fear and vulnerability in their life and their existence. And that, that function as a protector and doing something that does impact people in that way and helps them is very gratifying. And it may be small. It may not be dramatic. It's not, you know, it's not Benghazi, but it's still something that's, real to the people that you're helping and it's real to you. Yeah. And uh, so for me, those are the moments that actually happen quite often. That awesome. happen quite often that make me realize and know that this was a good choice for me. Mm-hmm. Ultra meaningful type moments. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's, that's the currency. I agree 100%. And you use the word protector, you know, Absolutely. I, uh, I was like just doing some, contemplative work, some introspection, you know, I'm in the gym, yeah. doing my thing. And uh, I really started thinking like, well, what are you, you know, like really what's the deal? You yeah. Know? What drives you? Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, when I was younger, you know, it was me, my mom and all my sisters and yeah. I was kind of the protector, Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. and then up through the Marine Corps, why well, I got into the Marine Corps and then, you know, on into what we're doing now. And it's, yeah. like, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, yeah, I can function as mm-hmm. an executive protection agent, I have functioned as a Marine. Mm-hmm. I have functioned as a close protection guy mm-hmm. or as an advanced guy or mm-hmm. whatever it is. But at the core, I think of what drives me and I think of what drives a lot of guys that are truly good at this Yeah, is this drive to be a protector. That's exactly right. <laughs> that, I think that's the core of, of most of it. And, and to be honest yeah. and very frank, if it's not, you're probably in it for the wrong reason. Yeah. You know, because in, in, in uh, really kind of high-speed, low-drag situations, military, deployed overseas, whatever, bullshit gets weeded out pretty fast, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Here in the in private sector, because most situations, especially domestically, uh, don't end up in a gunfight, don't end up in an altercation. Yeah. It's really, uh, you know, it, it, you. there's a lot of latitude for things to be half-assed yeah. with certain teams, certain operators, and, and it kind of blows by and nobody notices it. The client doesn't notice it. Yeah. But you should notice it. And there's a lot of guys out there, if they're doing things for the wrong motivation, they half-ass the important stuff. Yeah. The details, the advance, the op order, mm-hmm. um, the uh, contingency planning, the ability to actually render aid, whether it's, it's a human cost attack, car accident, Mm-hmm. natural disaster, whatever it might be. If you yeah. can't help protect that client in all of those situations, right? what are you doing? Yeah. And on the full spectrum, not just the like sexy gun stuff, yeah. you know? You know? Yeah. Um, and I think too, the thing about the, the stuff back here is since it's not as sexy all the time, you just get burned. You can get burned out if you're not into Super it. Easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you got to constantly go back to what's motivating you and yeah. be real with yourself about it. Yeah. You know, and understand that it's not all going to be sexy. Yeah. The glory shots aren't as, uh, you know, it's just not as, that's funny. Cause, and the friction points, you know, I feel like domestic executive protection, you see more of the service industry aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. more of the putting the car seats in the car real quick for the client and things like that. What's the, what's the term concierge with a gun? Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot yeah, of times yeah, it can yeah, be. Yeah. And, and guys will joke about it. And especially in, and I know in our shop, this happens, we'll have guys that less so now, but guys that would serve overseas mm-hmm. uh, with some of the big box uh, contracting companies for six months, do a contract overseas, come back, decompress, work domestically with us. Mm-hmm. 
And the first couple of rotations, uh, you know, they come back and go, oh, geez, you know, domestic, domestic work, what the, yeah, it's driving me nuts. Yeah. And they're antsy and all that stuff. But after two or three rotations, a lot of them come back and go, it's honest work. You're doing, you know, you're doing good work out there. If you are doing good work and being yeah. honest with yourself and you're keeping people safe and giving them peace of mind. And right. oftentimes it's not just the adults, it's their kids. Yeah. A lot of it's times their family. It's kids. Yeah. And you know, I mean, what better job to protect kids? And sometimes it's a pain in the ass and you're yeah. dealing with a lot of particulars, but at the end of the day, you are providing a service that is impactful and it's meaningful and it makes a difference. And, yeah. and that's what has to draw you back. That's what draws me back. Yeah. Every time. And it's honorable. It's honorable. <laughs> it's stinking honorable, you know? Imagine like, that. Yeah, right? right? And that's what I love. You don't have to. You, firemen, awesome. Absolutely. Law enforcement, awesome. Yeah. This is another way to do Absolutely, yeah. Work. And it fills a, a real gap that's out there because yeah. the, the thing that we're lulled into in the States especially, and we see this with clients all the time, is, yeah, you, I mean, you're very safe. Uh, generally speaking, yeah. you're very safe yeah. here until you're not. Exactly. Until you're not. <laughs> until you are a target because of your wealth. Until mm -hmm. you're a target because of your political beliefs, your religious beliefs, whatever yeah, the case might your be. Exposure. Your exposure, um, the job you're doing currently, whatever. And then you're no more safe here than you are down south. Yeah. You know, Anyone because else? the police aren't everywhere. We don't live in a police state. Yeah. Most people, despite what gun laws, gun rights we still have, most people aren't armed, and the, those that are armed, the vast majority of them don't know how to defend themselves properly with exactly. firearms or anything other than a firearm. Yeah. And so that's a reality that most U.S. citizens and protectees that we deal with don't get their head around. It's something that we talk about when we get a new account hmm. and a new protectee is we don't preach at them, but we hmm. try to engage them in a concept of changing their mindset to understand that, yeah, you are generally safe. You don't need to be worried about things. Mm -hmm. However, you need to be situationally aware yeah. for yourself, for your kids, for your family, for your teammates, whatever, mm -hmm. and keeping them focused on that because uh, it's all, you know, tier two, slow moving, low order stuff here until it's not. Until, yeah. Until it's not. And how many operators have you worked with, you know, using the term very loosely? Yeah. How many other uh, EP Asian. specialists have you worked with that? Um, and just to sleep at the switch. Yeah. They're like, nothing's going to happen. You know, yeah. It's halls and walls guys. Yeah. yeah, you know? yeah. And it's like, it is until it isn't. And then, yeah, exactly. And then the most dishonorable thing in the world is just not being ready. You know what I mean, it's just not, it's just being another chicken with your head cut off when something happens. That's right. That's, right. that's unacceptable. Yeah. Well, that's a good gouge, man. That just that, that couple of minutes right there, you know, just as getting into it. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, do you have a favorite quote? Or mantra? Um, yeah, I mean, I really what I stick with, it's on my signature line, uh, wow. speed, surprise, and violence of action. Heck yeah. <laughs> That's what's up. Speed, you know? surprise, violence of action. That's it. I mean, and... and so, see, there's the quick and the dead. <laughs> that's right. Exactly right. And, and it's my favorite Latin phrase um, because it's meaningful to me. Yeah. It's obviously also the motto of, of you know... Delta Detachment and, you know, CAG and all that, mm -hmm. which is near and dear, you know, respect the hell out of that organization. But more importantly, um, it, I think, encompasses what every, every protector, every executive protection professional should strive for awesome. is be sharp, be switched on, yeah. speed, right? Right. Surprise. 
know your surroundings, know your situational awareness, know where your limits are, know your backup plans. Mm -hmm. Surprise. Surprised. <laughs> if you're situationally aware, you shouldn't be getting surprised, yeah, exactly. right? Exactly. And yeah. then when, when it's go time, violence of action. Heck yeah. You got to know how to apply the appropriate solution to that problem yeah. and be willing to apply it. And that's yeah. those three items kind of encompass what, again, we're not out there getting in gunfights and, right. you know, in CONUS, but it's more than that. Oh, yeah. In fact, it's more subtle and complicated than that. Absolutely. It's really, it's really more, you know, transitioning from military PSDs into civilian sector stuff was really difficult because you can't call for fire, you can't call for air support, you can't call for backup. Mm -hmm. There is no rapid reaction force coming other than law enforcement, and they're going to get there when they get there. Right. And guess what? When they get there. You're part of the problem. You better be ready to be proned out. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, so, yeah. You really get on the right side of things. Yeah, so you've got to you've got to know to be ready. Um, and and so yeah, uh, speed, surprise, and violence of action. That's that's what I'm about. I love that, man. Yeah. And it's there's so much initiative in like all three of those terms. Really, you know what I mean? Yeah. Speed, surprise, violence of action. You're taking the initiative. You that's know? right. That's, yeah. And that's a lot of what we're doing too, man. Yeah. You know, and with the clients, with everything. Yeah, I think there's so much to be said for the initiative a good agent has to take behind closed doors. That's right. Without any guidance, any leadership, I'd say like almost eighty percent of what we do is yeah. really like there's the equation. That's right. Initiative, the rest of it. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like see what's not seen. You know. That's right. Uh, perceive that which cannot be seen with the naked eye and try to make this thing run as smoothly as possible. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, and then, and then, of course, when you start to see problems and part of your problem solving mm -hmm. is not to overreact. Yeah. Because the, the perspective. That's a it, tough one. That, like comes with maturity. Kind of. Big time. Yeah. You yeah. know, because, you know, and, and we find we were talking earlier about uh, the type of candidates that come in and might apply for protection work, mm -hmm. EP work, you know, civilian, private sector background, military, law enforcement, law enforcement, special teams and all that. Um, they're all going to have different levels of reaction and application instinctive yeah. solutions and even the tier one guys that we occasionally get the privilege of working with that come and do you know six months of work with us before they deploy again they um you have to learn instinctively to ratchet down and pull it back a bit yeah. because default it, aggressive isn't it anymore no because an overreaction can again turn your situation into a crime scene that was unnecessary and was yeah. not the right level of uh of problem solving and doesn't serve your client, right? which at the end of the day, it's not only about everybody goes home safe, it's also about minimum friction for your client. Yeah, and reputation and all these things. You're wearing your client's jersey, you're wearing your company you're working for his jersey, and right then you're also wearing your own your own work product right that you're going to be wearing for yeah. a long time. You yeah, know? and you got to own it. Yeah, and you got to own it. And then also I feel like clients are, they're kind of like thermometers with, they react off of our reactions. Absolutely. So like they present a problem or a problem appears. I've found that if we can stay calm and just prioritize, execute, control what you can control, yeah, okay, wheel came off. You know, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take these steps. We'll just debus here. Uh, you know, that we'll switch vehicles, boom, boom, boom. Yep. The client's going to be less startled. But if you're like, kooks in the water, you know, broken arrow, J turning, dude. <laughs> Yeah. And next you're snapping and whipping around. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, yeah. even if it is yeah. a catastrophic failure. Like, Absolutely. like, like yeah. you know, you with the better athletes yeah. the other day. It's like, going to be like, they're going to, they're going to ask themselves. It was 
was the cure better than the disease? Yeah, yeah. You know, was the solution better than the problem? Because they, they seem so kinetically similar, right? right. Yeah. And if, if, if your protection professional is overreacting and you're a civilian, you're expecting them to handle it, then that's problematic. So. Yeah, you can't be an alarmist. And they're looking to you to understand the actual how big of it, how, the quality of the problem. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't require that kind of that yeah. level of reaction. So, yeah. so these are all the nuances and subtleties that that uh, the more mature the the professional, the agent, um, the more they know that intuitively, they recognize it and they apply it in their in their trade craft. One hundred percent. This is the gold. These are the conversations I wish I could have had. Yeah. When I was first starting. You yeah. Know, you know, well, okay. you know the deal. It's like until you get out there and you develop that, that, that experience, that muscle memory of, of going through it. Yeah. And stepping in it a few times, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. It really doesn't make sense. It all sounds like you know. It sounds like a great story until mm-hmm. you actually live it, and then you go, "Oh, that's what we meant." Yeah. That's absolutely. what they're talking. About. That's yeah, and it starts clicking. It's like yeah. maturity. It's like mom and dad want me to come home at eleven thirty. There's no reason for this until yeah. you realize the reason for this. Yeah. And like yeah. Johnny, who didn't have to, is like strung out on crack and the right. strip instead yeah, of the college. Yeah. Nothing, nothing good happens after midnight. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. like, come on. That's, that sounds clever, Dad, but what are you talking about? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I dig it. That's awesome. So, workplace violence, man. Yeah. Workplace violence 101. Yeah. What does it look like? The definition? Yeah. Start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so even the term workplace violence is, is a, uh, uh, term uh, phrase uh, that has transitioned now from the threat assessment community is, uh, to uh, HR community and HR professionals. And what we're talking about now is targeted threat. Okay. Um, workplace violence is kind of an older general category. Okay. And now we're talking about targeted threat scenarios within a workplace, within a house of worship, within public spaces, that type of thing, awesome. schools, and, and so on. So with all of the recent kind of spate of, of you know, that type of uh, active threat scenarios, active shooter scenarios, what we have found is the evolution of this process is there's a lot of disinformation out there that's driven by, by sensationalized media, yep. yeah. sends the wrong message. Knowing is good. Having the accessibility through our little, you know, our little uh, black mirrors that we've got here that are driving our lives. That's excellent. But obviously, as we all know, these little these little black mirrors can be devices of good and devices of bad. And so unless the operator is the user of this thing is, is, you know, filtering, Mm -hmm. then it's hard to it's hard to know know, what you're getting. So misinformation is is causing a lot of fear, a lot of panic unnecessarily in in the workspace. And so what we do in our training, in our active threat response training, is we start with the basics, and that's typically understanding the basic 10,000-foot view of psychology of how these things happen. Um, threat, one of the basic premises, and again, a lot of this is, is um, information that we have uh, picked up over the years through our professional experience, but also refined very specifically through uh, the kind of tutelage and guidance of um, ATAP and specifically Dr. Manny Tao, who is our go-to senior um, threat assessment uh, and forensic psychologist. Awesome. And what we teach out there primarily is that these events are not events, but rather processes, right? Okay. So human beings, right. yeah, even yeah. as unpredictable as we can be, we're actually incredibly predictable. And that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but yeah. the reality is, is even the worst 
um, active shooter scenario that you can call upon, those individuals didn't wake up one morning, pet the dog on the head, go out and commit a and mass casualty event. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. have that way. There is all these little target indicators. Precisely. So yeah. they're thinking violent thoughts, yep. right? They're verbalizing those violent thoughts, mm-hmm. and then they're uh, planning uh, and, and engaging in preparatory behavior. Yeah. And then they're carrying out the action. Mm-hmm. A so, lot of times on social media, too. Absolutely. And that's <laughs> part of the verbalization. So yeah. thoughts, verbalization, action. Those are the three fundamental Cluster. steps that yeah. you've got to go through okay. to get to a mass casualty event. Now, that kind of spins people out a little bit when we talk about it in training, especially labor law attorneys, HR professionals, um, supervisors and such. And they'll say, well, no, that's that's ridiculous. That's not how these things happen. Um if you have an armed robbery uh, that occurs in a, an adjacent business and the gunman is you know, fleeing, comes into your place of business and starts shooting people, that's an utterly random event. Yeah. You get yeah, struck by lightning at that point. Yeah, yes, and it's random to you, but guess what? That crew, that crew had a plan. Yeah. That plan involved you. Guess what that crew did if they're worth their salt? They yeah. did a reconnaissance of that hit. Yeah. They went out and looked. And said, "How? Are, what are my escape avenues? What's going on?" There's a hostile planning cycle there. <laughs> Absolutely, and yeah. that is part of that hostile planning cycle. And so, could you have possibly seen that? Well, not every employee in that business adjacent to that that victim's location could have necessarily seen it. But do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. When you get into the weeds of it, it wasn't random. It didn't just happen. Right now, it may have seemed like it just happened to you when it hit your radar. Right, but in fact, it's happening all around you. Right, situational awareness. Boom. Right. So what are we doing when we're leaving our uh, places of employment, our houses, uh, the movie theater? We're doing this. We're in the black mirror. We're in the black mirror. (laughs) Getting sucked in. And this is, we tell people, this is your comms device. This is your communications device. It is not your flashlight. It is not your life. It is not your, you know, it's not your uh, best little buddy. It's your primarily communications device. Treat it as such. When you're transiting, and this is, you know, EP 101 from tactic standpoint, when you're transiting, Where's your biggest point of vulnerability when you're moving your principal? In bus, D-bus. In, yeah, get right? in and out. You're trying to get from a big box to a little box, through a little threshold. Yeah. All kinds of stuff People can go know wrong. Where yeah, know where you're coming. That's right. Are you covered? Are you uncovered? Mm-hmm. All that good stuff. So you got to factor in all those things. So when we're not working it up, why would anybody in their right mind that has this training be down on their phone moving to and from? Mm-hmm. Cause it's just not situationally aware. And that's awesome because I forget what the name of the principle is, but essentially, you know, you see things that are relative to your level of kind of your perceptive level of development yes. and, and your intelligence level and things like this. So Absolutely. if you're not trained to see it, you won't see it. And so, I mean, I believe like that's the groundwork right there. Absolutely. Essentially kind of like, and this is what I do with the church clients and things like that is, now that everyone understands these things, yeah. now that everyone has kind of a level of awareness towards these things, kind of spread the net of your security, uh, uh, you know, your security team. Your early warning devices are now exactly. throughout the congregation. Yeah. Can, they're aware because, and of course, there's that cycle of getting them not to be alarmists. <laughs> right. Super detectives. Right. Right. But you don't want them to not say anything. Right. Right. And, and that's, that's a natural evolution. It takes yeah. time. You know, they got to they cut their teeth on that and, and the biggest, the biggest thing that we teach out there, and, and I, I do um, training in urban survivability and, and um, with, with um, kids getting ready to go off from uh, high school to university. Awesome. And get 
you know, get them uh, spooled up on what, um, you know, what to look for and what to be aware of. The trick is, is getting, getting them to understand that as a species, right, as mm -hmm. an animal on this planet, uh, an enlightened, sentient animal, we are prone to violence. Yeah. Period. It's an option. It's a we, tool we use. We <laughs> didn't get to the top of the food chain by being kind yes. and nice people <laughs> and passive. Yeah. Now, because we are civilized and we are at the top of the food chain, we've developed civilization yeah. based on civility, a based code. on laws and yeah. code. And we don't have to be menacing towards everybody. Right. And that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's the evolution of our species. However, we still have in our core the ability to be violent. Yeah. When we're confused, when we're threatened, when we um, perceive that things are not going our way, when we lose hope, yeah. we default to violence. Crude tools. <laughs> Crude yeah. tools, yeah. right? Exactly. You don't you don't get angry about something and then start start quoting scripture or philosophy. Yeah. Right? Unless you're Samuel Jackson. Yeah, right. Actually help you. Yeah, but right. most but people most don't. Right yeah, because you don't go to that higher mind. You go yeah. to your basic instinct, which Absolutely. is potential for violence. Having said that, getting people, getting uh, civilians and our clients to understand that, and frankly, new uh, EPA agents coming into business, 100%. that if you start from that baseline, get comfortable with that. Don't be judgmental. Don't be looking for you know, bad guys around every corner. There's not a tangle around every corner. Mm -hmm. But understand that there could be, and they could have intentions of violence. Mm -hmm. That being the case, have a plan. Yeah, have a plan and be willing to execute that plan to its fullest, and then have a backup plan. Thank you. Right. So, because as we all know, no operational plan survives contact with the enemy. Like literally, right? execution. Forget about it. Yeah, yeah. And be able to recognize the signs and symptoms of precisely. You know, the degradation into those tools too. So, I mean, going into workplace violence and, and acts of threat in in the public spaces and work. Um, Getting people to realize that every one of us has a potential for violence. It's just what is going to trigger us and where are we at on that threat arc. Yeah. The four things in our lives that balance us out, health, finances, relationship, and living conditions, living situation. Quality. If any two of those things are in flux at the same time, <laughs> yeah, you may be a little on edge. You're right? starting to kind of have a cluster of You have three on going bad at the same time. And how do those things usually occur in a cascading effect, right? Yeah. Job goes away. Spouse leaves, yeah. Money starts to go crazy. <laughs> yeah. Your relationship gets rough. Your housing will definitely get rough, yeah. right? And now we got problems. Now we got a human being who their base instinct could be, you know, lashing out in a violent way. Yeah. Now they got to start finding out who's responsible for this problem. How did this downward spiral occur? And depending on how self-realized they are or self-initiated they are, they may be pointing outward for all their problem solving. Yeah, it was fun. You're my problem. You're my problem. Mm -hmm. My life was perfect until you came along. Yeah. If you hadn't given me that, if you had given me that promotion like I knew I deserved, my life would be perfect now. Mm -hmm. And so you have that de-evolution that goes on. So when getting pulling back out to that 10,000 foot view, if we can get people to realize the potential is always there, yep. take a breath, now figure out, okay, um, what does that mean? If I've got to get out of my location quickly, what are my exit routes? Yeah. How do I get out? Um, if I've got a barricade, do I have tools with me that I can barricade and reasonably protect myself? Awesome. So the, the basic concept, run, hide, fight. If I can get out, get out. If I can't, hide and barricade. Right. And then if I have to fight, am I prepared to fight? I got to do my own self risk and vulnerability assessment. Am I ambulatory? Mm -hmm. Am I an elderly woman who... Uh, can't run, can't yeah. do flights of stairs. 
Um, you know, am I a guy with a bad hip? Am I, am I a pacifist? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. You know, um, have a contingency plan. You really got to focus on running and hiding at that point. Yeah. So, so we focus on know what the reality is out there. It's not a horrible world, but there is things that can go wrong. Yeah. Have a plan for that and then have a self-assessment so you know what you can reasonably do. Right. You know, did you actually run that route? Did you walk through that door? Did you go down those stairs? Do you know what cover and concealment is? Do you know that when you get to the perimeter door of your building that you may have road tested, but when you get outside, do you know to stay low and get behind a vehicle? Yeah. Do you know to yeah. get in front of the vehicle where the engine block is, or do you get behind it where the fuel tank is? Is that door going to be locked? <laughs> is that <laughs> door going to lock the door? In you? Right. Yeah. You know, exactly. So all of those things, those are what we focus on to try to bring it back to reality and then focus on the fundamental skills to enable people, empower them to have those tools in the tool chest when they need it. Awesome. And then, and then just harp on them endlessly about practice, 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 practice. Yeah. Make it muscle memory. Yeah. Because you don't own what you, what, you, what you don't practice. You'll default to your lowest level of training. Yeah. Or to your highest level of training. Highest right? level of training. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So a lot of it goes into the prep, the preparation. Absolutely. You know, preparing the people because they're going to be the ones dealing with the threat. Precisely. Um, okay. And what does like a typical kind of workplace violence case look like? Is there like a, this is usually what you see in the field kind of thing? Is it mm-hmm. like on the other side of it, like with an investigation and things like that? Is there like a kind of typical yeah there is it's it's a great question the typical call we get from clients typically from their their attorneys is uh, it, whether it's in-house counsel or outhouse outside counsel is we've got um a worker an employee front of the house back of the house doesn't matter blue collar white collar there's a little variation in in the net effect of it all mm-hmm. who's it either said something or is displaying aberrant dysfunctional behavior that has caught somebody's eye. Somebody has been situationally aware enough and it could be not even an actual threat, Mm -hmm. but something was just off or weird. Right. So we've had everything from people making direct threats. If, if you keep talking this way or demeaning me this way, I'm going to come back and fill in the blank. Yeah. To um, a coworker's personal hygiene which was normally fine and great, actually very squared away. Now they're not showering. They're not laundering their clothes. It looks like they're sleeping in their car. What's going on? You know, mm-hmm. their time and attendance is maybe a little bit rough. Things like that, where typically a supervisor or a squared away HR rep is noticing these things. Yeah. So we'll get called in. We'll do an initial assessment of what the telltale signs were and, um, recommend that Dr. Tao comes in to do a direct profile or direct interview with the individual. If not, then myself or one of my investigative staff will go in and then simultaneous to that will also, if they're going to, the employer is going to take action against that individual employee because they have violated policy mm-hmm. and there's a zero tolerance policy in place. Yeah. They will. Um, and so, um, a separation is eminent. Mm-hmm. We will have, um, Really, it's a three-tier, four-tier package that we put together for them. And depending on the budget, uh, direct interview with the peripheral witnesses who witnessed the event, gather the information, direct interview with threat subject, the employee, whether it's one of myself, one of my staff, or Dr. Tao. Um, the employee uh, threat subject is exited from the company. We have uh, executive protection agent team, typically two agents minimum, mm-hmm. uh, deployed one interior, one exterior, just to 
make sure that everything's locked down and safe. Uh, also code fiving with local law enforcement. So we're tied in, mm-hmm. uh, the employee departs and we, uh, full package would be, we have a surveillance team on them so that we're observing where they're going, what they're doing to ensure that they're not going, ramping up, maybe getting a little bit of liquid courage, yeah. coming back, mm-hmm. come back and they decide they're going to you know settle it that way. So that's a full package protection, uh, direct intervention through interview and, um, contact with Dr. Tower, again, one of uh, myself and one of our other investigative staff, surveillance and, and as much front loading as you can do, but coordination with law enforcement. So mm-hmm. checking the public record to see if this person has a history of violence. Yeah. That's all part of the basic profiling setup. Awesome. That's awesome, man. I took a course on open source information recently. Oh yeah. Man, you can get any. I mean, you get a lot. People don't really realize how much is really out there. No, no. I mean, it's in fact, there's there. so much out there that it's yeah. easy to get a lot of nonsense that doesn't. That's either not you, it's part of you. Yeah. But it's also somebody else who shares your surname or whatever the case is. Yeah. Exactly. So filtering is a big deal with, with uh, you know, intelligence gathering on the subject. Yeah, one hundred percent. Any like myths or anything that you're aware of around workplace violence and things like that? Yeah, okay. um, that it was, you know, you know, this was such odd behavior for, for this to happen. This guy's the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> Assuming someone's, yeah. yeah. Again, that, that utter disconnect with the basic fundamental acknowledgement of human nature that mm-hmm. we have a propensity for violence. Um, so that the myth is that it was out of the blue, never saw it coming, yeah. that kind of thing. Inevitably, you'll see somebody in that mix that is like, "Well, I had a feeling." Yeah, you know, I he did this weird thing this one time, uh, or he kept saying this thing the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and I just was weird. I thought he was, you know, it was out of character for him. Yeah. So the myths of it'll never happen here, right? And I know all the people I work with, and, and none of them would do it. None of them would do that. <laughs> they've got kids. They've got families. Yeah, they've yeah. got this. They they're the good uh, yeah. church going people. Yeah. Um, that makes perfect sense because you always hear that from you always hear that from people <laughs> you know like oh no oh no just the whole tonology right like nah right. like no you are not being realistic stop right paying attention because every single person almost I think that's ever been in one of these situations was under their desk going oh my god what's I, happening I, yeah what's happening yeah. I never thought this was gonna happen that's right exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think some of the big things you're saying is like man. Before the situation even takes place, take a look at your environment. Run, hide, fight. That's great. What does it really mean? Are you capable of it? When to use what? Do you know when to use what? Do you That's know? Right. Have a plan ahead of time. That's know? right. Um, what are you capable of? Are you capable of fighting? Are you capable of running? What's going to be your your ace that you're going to try to play? You mm-hmm. know, is if you're small and fast, running is going to be your ace. You Absolutely. Know? And I think people need to take a look at their environments. Before these things happen and say, hey, I got a window right here. Yeah. Maybe I can put a chair through it. Or maybe this glass isn't going to allow me to do that. Yeah. And you, you don't, don't want to find out. Not like- <laughs> you don't want to find out that that chair is going to bounce back and hit you in the head. <laughs> At the very moment, you need to remain maybe. conscious and ambulatory and moving. Exactly. You know, it's like, it's those realizations that people miss. But yeah. that you're absolutely right. That self-assessment of what can I do? Yeah. You know, one of the big things that, that I use as an example in my, in my, uh, active threat response training is mm-hmm. we tell them right off the bat, these are skills that you're going to be able to use to help safeguard yourself and your family and your friends and, and 
co uh, workers in the event of an active shooter scenario. But you'll be able to apply this in your real everyday, everyday life. life. What about when you go to a movie, to dinner? Look at the movie theaters. The yeah. Theaters. They're mostly amphitheater seating. Mm -hmm. Where's your exits? At the bottom where the yeah. bad guy shows up. Yeah. Right? So if you have to improvise a weapon, if you have to figure out your exits, mm -hmm. if you have to be able to low crawl with no light because you're in a theater and lights are off and the movie's yep. playing, mm -hmm. when everything's pandemonium and craziness, can you do it? Are you physically capable of doing it? Can you do it with your loved ones? Are your loved ones capable of doing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, because uh, they're certainly, everything's going to go sideways for them. Yeah. And yeah, they're going to be panicked. And I think kind of along the lines of the protector uh, slash professional thing, you know, I think this is like for, I know for me and for most of the guys I work with, this is stuff we're going over in our heads. You oh, know, I, my wife's hearing about it. You know, she she knows we walk into a restaurant. She knows which seat I'm going to want, which seat I'm going to take. Yeah. She'll even tell the waitress, like, eh, yeah, he probably is going to want to sit over here. <laughs> He's kind of weird. She already yeah, has yeah. the apology already ready. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, and I'm knows. like, eh, yeah. can we take this chair, this seat, this table? Going to a movie theater, you know, I'm thinking yeah. about, you know, I've got my gear on me. I got whatever I got. I got a flashlight. I got a weapon light. I got right. both. You know, I've got all that stuff. I'm looking at my angles. I'm yeah. looking at you know, where I'm seated, my wife knows already what we're going to do, <laughs> you know, having um, that plan. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that is, that is, is gold for if the vast majority of the population could get their heads around doing that. Yeah. It not only improves their survivability in these extremely unlikely scenarios, mm -hmm. but it also drives them to be more self-aware for every scenario because it's not just man-made stuff that you got to watch out for. You'd be shocked. Uh, you want to look up a shocking statistic. Look at how many people are killed in New York City annually by being on their little black mirror, stepping off a curb, not seeing those taxis. Yeah. Or just traffic in general. Or standing on the curb, but right on the curb. Yeah. And they get bumped. And, yeah. and it's a maiming or fatal accident, you know, head versus vehicle. And there was no ill intent there. There was no threat necessarily. But you've got them, you know, several thousand pound moving object being driven by a human being who is fallible and prone to mistakes. Mistake. A lot of variables Probably there. Probably on their phone too. Probably on their phone too. <laughs> yeah. a call. It's an Uber guy going, oh, my next ride. Yeah. No. So just things like that. And by driving people to be more situationally aware and more uh, accountable for their own safety and their, their loved one's safety yeah. makes us all better citizens. 100%. Makes it a safer environment, a safer for everybody. Culture. Everybody. You know? And right? I also have seen like and I think raising a family this way is important. Absolutely. Um, it increases their survivability. Uh, there's a lot, I don't know, I, I think this is a this is a really important thing for yeah. people to really grasp. And it's not, here's one, it's not paranoia. Nope. I get people like on Instagram, I posted something the other day, a lady texted and falls down a manhole. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it's horrible, but the whole, yeah. you know, and, and I say things on those posts like, hey, have a plan know and make sure it's a plan you can execute and think and, and sometimes they get feedback and people are like oh well you know you're supposed to be paranoid everywhere you go and da, 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 da. i'm like no yeah the plan i believe boosts your confidence mm -hmm. and your peace of mind mm -hmm. because now you're ready for whatever is taking place in fact it's taking responsibility it's actually a, a sign of maturity in my opinion absolutely yeah. and and life experience and, and a good yeah. analogy to use is um car insurance you know, it's mandated in most states nowadays, and there's yeah. a reason why it's mandated. Before it was mandated by law, what was the common excuse? 
I'm a great driver. I don't need insurance, right? <laughs> but you're not buying the insurance. You may be a great driver. Yeah. But guess what? You do not control all aspects of physics. You don't have a crystal ball. You don't know what's coming. That's why they call it accidents. You yeah. can't see it coming, right? Yeah. And so these are for the unforeseen events that are occurring. And same thing with mindset. Somebody who goes to the paranoid, you know, I don't want to live my, night, my mm -hmm. life paranoid. I'd rather be ignorant of these things. They're just being silly and they're not at that level of maturity in life experience where it's like, if you could do something, if you ask them another question, if I could give you four life skills that would immediately increase your annual income, would you want me to give them to you? Absolutely. Everybody's going to say yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. If I can give you four life skills that will better your odds and chances for surviving unforeseen events in your environment, would you want me to give that to you? Or would you rather be ignorant of those things? Mm -hmm. Of course, I want them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And who wouldn't? Yeah. But you gotta you gotta be willing to take responsibility and do those things and implement it. Right. Now, somebody like you, somebody like me, of course, we would we would take it. Yeah. But getting civilians who've been kind of been in a bubble and been mm -hmm. kind of cushy to take responsibility for that and not be afraid of it, yeah. but be empowered by it, that's a trick. That's another dynamic. That's another dynamic. Yeah. And it's and, and teaching it is um, is a subtle thing. You've got to you've got to you know get like them to commit. Yeah. yeah, you've got to <laughs> get them to commit to it. You got to empower them and let them know yeah. it's it's not uh, you know it's not yeah. any more scary than than figuring out that getting on commercial airliners, you know, recent events notwithstanding, commercial airliners are very very safe, safer yeah. than your car. So yeah, so it, it's those kinds of steps that help yeah. spread the word and the skill. Absolutely. Now, 100%, man. That's, uh, I, I believe, I think kind of the friction point is folks don't have experiential data. If they don't have it in their human experience, you're trying to get them to see something they haven't seen. That's right. Believe in something they haven't experienced. That's this right. Is, uh, yeah. It's like a magic trick. Sometimes. It is. It's absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's like magic you're, it's the same thing as you're explaining something to your kid who hasn't experienced it yet. You're still just mean, grumping, crazy. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, just preaching. <laughs> it's not that, you know, yeah. it's just, but our experiences, that's kind of what shapes our beliefs and paradigms and drive our actions. It's understandable. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, you know, I come back from Iraq and I was like, you're just crazy. You're too, you know, but, um, as obviously some of that tamps down and then, you know, everything yeah, bubbles out. And it's yeah. nice to be, I really appreciate being uh, a little bit hyper vigilant as they call it, you know, because it's, it's coming handy. That's right. Skill. Absolutely. Um, yeah. What would you say are the biggest, well, I guess we're kind of touching, maybe touching on it, but what's like the hardest part about the workplace violence cases? Most difficult aspect. Well, it, dealing with, I would say probably the hardest aspect of it is when you're dealing with somebody who truly has a neurosis or uh, mm. a variation of a mental illness okay. that um, that they truly need help with. Okay. And they may or may not have the resources to be able to find that help. And they're truly uh, disoriented and confused by their situation. Mm -hmm. So their, their process, their thought process, whatever it is, whatever led them to that juncture in their life, mm -hmm that now they're acting in this way that's unacceptable and not safe for everybody. When they, when they realize that, and they realize that, that as an organization, they have to take steps to protect the organization and themselves and everybody else, you know, by, by ethical standards and by statute, employers are, are um, obligated to, um, to do, to protect the workplace, to make it as safe as possible mm -hmm. for the majority of the employees there. So the onus is on 
protecting everybody else, not the one individual who's having issues. Yeah. Now, those issues might be brain chemistry or whatever cases, but yeah. that's really the hard thing is to see that. And then usually what's behind that, oftentimes it's not, the vast majority of the time it is not uh, neuroses or mental illness or psychopathy of some sort. It's a character issue. It's a character issue yeah. and or it's uh, stressors, the, okay. uh, things that we refer to as stressors. Yeah. Uh, uh, substance abuse, alcoholism, drug use, gambling addiction, sex addiction, whatever the other you know, case, things that could be driving this. And then they have brought their life that was otherwise a good life to this brink, to this threshold of now they're acting out, now they're a danger to others. Yeah. And now we've got to intervene and try to decompress them. They're not hurting themselves, not hurting anybody else. But now your journey is really beginning. Now, now that individual, hopefully, in the best case scenarios, we're able to steer them towards county services, private sector services that maybe the, even the employer is willing to, to supplement and help with mm-hmm. and get them on a path where they're not going to hurt themselves or somebody else. Yeah. They're no longer going to work there any longer. Mm-hmm. That's, you can get another job. Yeah. We're trying to get you back on track with life. life. Yeah. So you're not going to end up in the penal, you know, the penal institution and or, you know, in the next shedding life. this mortal coil, yeah, right? exactly. you know, yeah. if you don't have to do that, don't do that. Right. You know? So let's get you the help you can get. So those are tough because they don't always take. In fact, a lot of them don't take. Yeah. Cause they know it's best or they're still in that denial Swirled phase. Around and, yeah. Yeah. They're all twisted up in their own, you know, awesome. madness. Awesome. Uh, so seeing a human being go through that, no matter how shitty they are, yeah. you just, you, you see the potential, you know, how precious life is. Yeah. I think a lot of guys in our field, a lot of people that work in our field understand they've had experiences where they've lost people close to them or they've been in those situations. Yeah. And they realize how precious life is. Mm-hmm. And then when you see somebody unwittingly throwing it away because they just can't get their head around things, yeah. they can't take accountability. That's tough. That's yeah. Tough. That is tough. That makes sense. Absolutely. Um, most enjoyable aspect of it. Um, having a really scary situation for the client, coming in with a plan, executing that plan, decompressing a situation, and solving that problem, and, and nobody gets hurt. The results are as good as you could have ever hoped they were, yeah. and the client can carry on, and all those people that work for the client can carry on with their lives, and they're going home. Some of them realize they, you know, literally dodged bullets, others real, you know, don't realize it. Um, but everybody goes and carries on. So the normalcy of that life and that cycle carries on as though nothing had happened. Yeah. Kind of really that the full extension of that gray man effect, right? Mm-hmm. You don't see us until you need us. And when you need us, we're there, we solve it. And then we fade back into the, into the background as if we were never there. And when it's seamless, <laughs> yeah. you don't break the continuity of the workplace. You don't, um, disrupt, you know, the synergy of the workplace. Yeah. That's that's a home run. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's a that's home run. Beautiful. And everyone's like, who are those guys? Yeah, I don't know. HR consultants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then they're arguing over the last donut in the break room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Know? That's yeah. awesome. No, that's what's up. That you know, I I feel like a lot of to a lot of agents in the in the field, I feel like the workplace violence thing is kind of like a, it's not very well understood. No. You know? So yeah. it's good to get this. Yeah, sometimes know? a lot of the guys will look at it as, as a halls and walls game. Yeah. And it's the last thing from that because yeah. there's a real threat there. We have an idea if we've been given enough information, we have mm-hmm. an idea of where they're at that threat scale. Yeah. Are they still in thoughts and verbalization or are they in preparatory uh, mm-hmm. behavior? 
Yeah. If they're in preparatory behavior, how far? Mm-hmm. You know, how far have they, have they, you know, gone down to the gun store and got the ammo? Yeah. Have they been out of the range practicing? Have they developed a, a, a plan of attack Strategy, to actually yeah. hit the place? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. There's certain things we won't know because we're private sector and we don't have the ability to find that out. Right. So, so the teams that are out there, the protection agents that are deployed on these things, they have to be particularly switched on. Right. Because you don't have the advantage of all that intel. You have some of it, mm-hmm. but not all of it. Yeah. So, And the propensity for violence is just a bit higher than it is in a lot of the domestic work, really. Absolutely. And it's kind of like a domestic violence type situation, but a professional version of exactly a domestic right. violence type yeah. situation. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Okay. What would you say about... Um, Security, intelligence, and interrogation. If you were going to give like a one-on-one on that, mm-hmm. uh, what would you, where would you go? Um, it's, it's a critical skill that it's, it's where, it's where our business, it's a critical skill that every executive protection agent should have the ability to interview. And really we don't truly interrogate in the truest sense of that skill set. Okay. Uh, but coming from the military and from a, uh, you know, military intel background where we did interrogate mm-hmm. um it's it's a softer approach softer technique but these are these are um intelligence gathering skill sets that every ep agent should have it's all component and part and parcel with situational awareness getting as much intel on a situation as you can mm-hmm. and thinking in that way as an intelligence officer would looking at a scenario looking at the demographic layout looking at topography where you're at what's going on all of those factors that come in so when you go into workplace mm-hmm. you've never been there before there's a lot of pieces of information that you've got to know to complete your mission which mm-hmm. is keep everybody safe decompress the situation not escalate it and um, you know protect what is there not only the people but also intellectual property the yeah. physical property and all of those things it's like snorkeling or scuba diving you want to like disrupt the environment the least amount as possible. That's right. But get all the good pictures and get all the, you know, information about the environment that you yeah. can take with you for the rest. Yeah, of watch out where those predators are. And watch out sneak for the predators. <laughs> yeah. sneak up That's on you, true, man. man. So uh, having that skill set is very important, um, but it is a refined, highly refined skill set. Sophisticated skill set. Super sophisticated, and it takes time. Time in the cockpit. takes time. You've got to be willing to push your boundaries, your verbal mm-hmm. skills, your, your uh, intellectual understanding of human nature. Mm-hmm. You got to do a lot of reading uh, to understand the scope and aspect of, of what's happening when you're in that game. So mm-hmm. when we do, uh, when we do a direct interview. interview of somebody, we're using a um, uh, patented method of, it's not patented, but rather trademarked and copywritten method mm-hmm. that was developed from the Department of Justice, Federal Department of Justice guidelines for conducting interviews and interrogations. Awesome. So it's based loosely on um, what Bureau agents, uh, U.S. Marshals, uh, State Department Protective Services guys use for, for advanced assessments, uh, threat assessments, um, the evolution of a threat um, as it's going through its, its escalation. Process, yeah. And, and then also gathering information from peripheral witnesses and folks like that. Mm-hmm. It also works in theft cases, anything white collar, basically. Yeah. It's not the kind of technique or interview process you would use in a violent crime, like a homicide or something, or mm-hmm. aggravated rape or assault or yeah, like something a, like that. Physical. Yeah. After the fact, you mm-hmm. wouldn't use this process to go and interview people after the fact. And of course, private sector, you wouldn't be doing that anyways. Yeah. It's going to be a law enforcement. Mm-hmm. 
but having that skill set in knowing how to read the behavioral response, knowing what it means, um, sticking to a very specific kind of guideline of uh, process of questioning mm -hmm. and funneling it from broad questioning down to specific questioning. That's a very specific skill set that um, I see as kind of the highest evolution of a protection slash, uh, you know, private sector intelligence professional. Awesome. So it's something that is, it's really kind of the, the crown jewels of that skill set, mm -hmm. you know, and all it does is when you walk out into the world, it's like, you know, the matrix, man, you're seeing so it opens much more up. information. You, you're seeing the red dress now. Yeah. You know? No, that you're I, seeing it. Yeah. I, um, and I like, you know, cause psychology has been my, one of my things. Man. Yeah. And clearly since I started taking that, all those courses and consuming all this content on it, yeah. the world looks different. You oh, can yeah. see behind the veil, you're, 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 you're talking to people and just, the experiential information, the data points that you're able to key in on and pick up and understand about the behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you're speaking a different language sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. A gigantic advantage. Yeah. <laughs> it's you know, thrilling and overwhelming yeah. at the same time. Exactly. You know, it, can be, it can be both. And, and, and you really start to, you really start to, especially in work environments, yeah. when you start to see that interaction, you see how many um, charismatic narcissists there are in the workplace. Yeah. And how many, you know, how many of those charismatic, uh, charismatic narcissists have, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, sociopathic tendencies. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. How many of those sociopathic tendencies are actually just on the threshold of turning into potentially Some violence? Yeah. yeah. And then you're like, well, wait, but that's the, Supervisor, that's yeah. the CEO, that's the that's you know, part of the culture now because this person's in charge of so many people. You know? Right. And they're yeah. encouraging that infighting and they're encouraging yeah. these things from, from you know, people they talk about toxic work environments. Yeah. Well, it, it comes it's from the top down sometimes. Attitude reflects leadership, man. I've kept that one with me, man. I uh no, that's good stuff. Great places to learn this type of content and, and sharpen these types of skills. Yeah. Any the, tools come to mind? Yeah. It's, it's tricky because, um, well, so first and foremost, the Reed Institute is probably one place that, that it's good for people to go to. The problem is, is that that is, um, largely for training polygraph examiners and law enforcement kind of, you know, detective three level federal agents, those types of folks. That's the basis that most of them use and they're taught in their academies and then they evolve into uh, specialized areas of that type of interview technique. But really even something as simple as like a Wicklander's Olasky, which okay. is a more of a purely civilian sector used for a lot of retail, national retail chains will have mm -hmm. their uh, theft investigations or internal investigation guys take uh, the Wicklander's Olasky interrogation classes going through uh, as is, uh, there's a number of um, as-is courses that teach you interrogation techniques. Getting in the pool and learning bits and pieces of what works for you yeah. is going to give you the behavioral response training that you need. It's going to get you in front of people, getting comfortable talking to people. Mm -hmm. Just the act of sitting down with somebody mm -hmm. where you have to extract information from that they don't want to share that information. you got to do it in a nonviolent way or a non-coercive way. Yeah. 
That's a trick and a half. And BPC and all that other fun jazz. It's a trick and a half. It's uh, all up here. Yeah. You're relying on your best weapon. Yeah. Which is, you know, that gray matter. Yeah. And you got to, you got to tune in such a way where you're developing that rapport and developing that relationship. You're Mm -hmm. seeing the signs. Yeah. You're seeing the faints. You're seeing the ticks, the tells. Yeah. So, um, as is Reed Institute, if you can afford it, can get in. Okay. Um, Wicklander, Zalowski, those are all good places to start. It takes an investment. It's really a um, higher level professional skill set. Mm-hmm. So uh, just like going for your master's or going through a PhD, it's an investment of time, mm-hmm. effort, money, resources, resources. Yeah. yeah. But it's available or you can come and, you know, buy me lunch and I'll give you a crash course. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 That's, that's awesome stuff. And what kind of, I guess if you're going to say like the, in, the Intel part of mm-hmm. security, um, I guess I want to ask, like, what applications do you see with the Intel? You know, is it is it something that's strictly a workplace violence piece? No. Or is it something that applies to a full gamut of client demographics that you guys see? Everything we do. Yeah. Um, everything we do. Because, and, and again, you know, outside of the military and outside mm-hmm. of uh, the intelligence community, all the, you know, alphabet agencies and whatnot, I'm using the term loosely and broadly. Mm-hmm. Okay, but... but yeah. The reason I emphasize it, and I, I use the term intelligence officer to describe some shops and people and things they do in our in our industry, yeah, is because it needs to be approached in the same in the same way that you took skills that you were taught in the Marine Corps mm-hmm. and use them as your infrastructure and your framework to build yourself as a private sector protection specialist. Yeah, a more refinement relative to what I'm trying to do now. Yeah, you've the the, the bones of the thing are solid. You've yeah. got a great foundation. You've built on it. And you've Good succeeded. Absolutely. So the same thing applies when you're talking about intelligence. Intelligence is everything that drives our actions. Okay. It's the data input that's coming in and then the filtering of that input and allocating that data to the right, to the right mechanisms, instruments, teams, whatever the case is. So you get a, um, a call of threat of violence in the workplace. What do you want to know? You want to front load as much information on the, on the subject employee as possible public records background search. Can you get one? Mm-hmm. Yes, if you have the proper documentation signed, depending on the state or region or country they're in. You're what are you looking for? Uh, well, criminal, okay, good. But guess what? What if they've never been caught and criminally prosecuted? Yeah. What else are you gonna look for? Behavior. Behavior, What's, yeah. what drives behavior? What's uh, indication? Your past, and uh, so if you've got a couple of DUIs, does it maybe suggest you might have a substance abuse issue? Possibly, maybe yeah. or just really unlucky. Yeah, you know, uh, wrong place, wrong time. Maybe chances are probably substance probably something issue. though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you've got financial stressors, um, you know, notwithstanding maybe. great downturns in the economy, could be that you know decision making abilities might be lacking a little precisely. bit. less responsive. Yeah, more impulsive. Exactly, more impulsive. And even if you have a misdemeanor um, uh, charge, like a mutual combat charge, yeah, that's a bar fight. Could start out as a felony and got yeah. reduced down to a misdemeanor. You're still but now I understand that violence is an option for you. Exactly. <laughs> you and know? you have a history of violence, even yeah. if it's only one hit, because that's the one time you got caught and prosecuted. Exactly. How many times did we, it was it a hit and run? Yeah. You got out of there before the cops showed up. Yeah. So that's intelligence. And then having that intelligence categorized, put in an op order, and then briefed to your team right. in a meaningful way enables them, empowers them right. to know what they're dealing with. 
Absolutely. And I think it's it's absolutely, if it can be gotten, if that information can be gotten, and that's going to be depending on a lot of things, mm-hmm. the employer having information, that type of thing. But let's say you've got uh, a tier two kind of, uh, you know, uh, executive protection operation where you've got a client maybe has potential for threat because of who they are and mm-hmm. who knows them and their public exposure to the footprint. You're going to be running all kinds of advanced work. You're yeah. going to have all kinds of routing going on. You're going to have, you're going to locate trauma centers that you can go to mm-hmm. on, on your routes. You're going to determine what kind of vehicles you need, all those things. Mm-hmm. That's your intelligence. Yeah. That's your preloading intelligence into yeah. that operation so that you can execute your mission yeah. in a meaningful and successful way. Yeah. So when we talk about intelligence, private sector, those are, that's all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all of it. Just like in the military, You've got human intel, you've got signal intel, mm-hmm. and you've got specialties that break out in those yeah. categories. Yeah. It's absolutely the same thing applies here. Nothing is different. Right. The only thing is different is you don't have mortars coming overhead. Right. You don't have sniper fire coming off of yeah. the original. Line. V-beds are driving around. V-beds driving around the <laughs> checkpoints that you yeah. just got unlucky enough to stick, you know, be stuck on. Right. So it's not as kinetic necessarily, mm-hmm. immediately kinetic. Right. But it's still important, and it, and again, you're safe until you're not safe. Exactly, and very meaningful. And if you can see the heat coming, you know, if you can identify behavior patterns, or yeah. you know, you can take a look at maybe a, a someone who has a makes a weird move towards your client on social media. Right. Um, you can stay ahead of that. And uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. if I'm a predator, mm-hmm. and I'm out on Serengeti, and I'm hunting, I'm hunting, you know, wildebeest. Yeah. Do I want to look like a cheetah or do I want to look like a wildebeest? I want to look like a wildebeest, right. man. I want to get as close as I guy. can. Yeah, yeah. And when you think of the of private sector, there's a, there's a lot of chameleons out there. Oh, yeah. Private sector, you can look like whatever. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, in the military, and you're forward deployed, you have a pretty good idea what your enemy looks like. Yeah. Even the variations of it. Yeah. You know, even your friendlies, you know that your enemy's going to try to blend in and do that, yeah. but there's signs, there's tribal indicators, there's all kinds of different indicators oh, yeah. that you key in on, and the people around know. So you, you know you might you all come up to a cluster of people. Yeah, you, know, you, all got, like, you got one walking in. Yeah, like, What's, who's that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But out in the civilian world, man, they're just living their life. Who's in the zoo? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. It's hard to tell. So you've got to be even more acute mm-hmm. and dialed in, and so your intelligence aspect of it and getting your mind around that is is uh even more critical and more acute mm-hmm. and this is where again borrowing the phrase from travis haley thinkers before shooters yeah critical 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 you've got yeah. i want a guy i would rather have a guy who's not as tactically experienced but is intellectual and willing yeah. to think and apply this yeah because that brain cage unit is what's driving everything yeah and be that thinker really kind of be thoughtful about these things we can teach them the tactical. Yeah, absolutely. If you've got this going on, we can teach you all the other skills. And you'll run into, like for every one tactical problem you might ever run into, you'll run into about 500 other problems that can curb you, curb your company, and knock you out of the game that have pretty much mostly to do with thinking and your problem solving abilities. And your client will assess those abilities uh, on an almost daily basis when you're working with them. That, that, I mean, you know, uh, a mildly irritating thing for for you could turn into a disaster for the account of the client. Yeah, easily. And it's uh, it's an interesting dynamic. And I kind of, what I love about this interview and interviews like this is just one, I just love kind of crushing that whole, you know, executive protection, bodyguard, like 
okay. it's not so much about <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah, what do you right. think of when you hear this well when i well when i hear somebody when i hear the term bodyguard yeah i know right off the bat again if, it, if it's a client if it's a civilian they don't know better yeah if i hear <laughs> if i look at a, if i look at a candidate cv and they've got the term bodyguard anywhere on their cv <laughs> i'm sorry sir we don't have anything for you yeah uh, i'd rather see doorman yeah there, or bouncer mm-hmm at least I know they're being real about it. And they're actually being honest and they're, and they're not being like, real because that's a, that's a specific trade. Yeah. That's a specific skill set. Mm-hmm. Dorman, very specific skill set. And in fact, I can it's do a lot a with a good set, Dorman. Actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially exactly. if it's a high end joint. Yeah. I can do a lot with that because you got people skills. You can talk, you can assess Yeah, quickly. Yeah. You're critically thinking you're, 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 you're looking at these IDs and deciding who's legit. Who's There's no shame in that. Yeah, I, got, yeah. I got a room for you. We can, we can mold that. Mm-hmm. If I got somebody who shows up and they're a bodyguard. <laughs> Cause we're, I mean, the term just, I mean, where, where did uh, it even come from? And then, yeah. you know, the, well, I just, the ideologies around this That's term right. and That's what exactly it brings right. with it in yeah. terms of just the bravado and behavior and all these different things. You just know right off the bat something's wrong with it. And yeah, you know, there's something you miss and there's, there's a misperception. There's a lack of, of uh, introspection on that individual's mm-hmm. part, um, and realistic understanding probably of what the job entails. Absolutely. And then you gotta start wondering about their CV and you know, yeah, what's real, what's made up, and mm-hmm. all that jazz. And, <laughs> and if we're, if you're, if I'm asking that question already at that point, I, I you know I'm polite, I'm professional, right? But I, I you know I I kind of send them on their way. And yeah. Just you know wish them the best luck. You know, good luck. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I don't think we're the shop for you. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's. It, exactly how I, I look at it and also with the security the private security profession now you know i i like i feel like there's a place for almost anyone who's a thinker you know like Absolutely. it's not a male female thing no this I, game I, yeah if we could find a you know a lab at langley that could grow female operators in a petri dish <laughs> right like I'll good take all of them i'll take all of them yeah because they they are for private sector they yeah. are the gem standard yeah you get a good one that you get a good one. way yeah they are good man because they're always the good ones are always thinkers before shooters they're they ha- always they have to they probably haven't had to use super sharp yeah exactly yeah. and they don't get affected by ego they don't engage their ego yeah they don't play that game because mm-hmm. they've risen above that they mm-hmm. understand that's that's it's non-starter yeah absolutely yeah. and i um and i mean and you know as well as i do you know, I get the calls all the time. Like, Hey man, you got a good female. And I'm like, ah, yeah. yeah, but she's at home and yeah. she doesn't work in the business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or I mean, I know one or two, you yeah, know, right. so ladies, if you're listening, you know, if you can manage your ego, work hard, beat, beat the other agents in the game, you yeah. know, and, uh, you know, hold your own in terms of thinking and moving and managing That's right. that ego and managing that emotional intelligence that we all have to have in this game. You can win. I think you can win even quicker. Absolutely. Much quicker. The field's thinner. It's exactly. And you already are going to be able to stand out and be more applicable in private sector than most guys. Yeah. Um, And ultra relevant. Almost every client has, you know, women and children that they want protected. And do you want the, you know, I mean, does every male feel comfortable with Navy SEAL? That's right. It's hard to be be the gray man when you are the tier one, you know, super stud in the room and you've got kids running around. It's like, okay, that has a certain deterrent level to it. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to be the gray man and not draw attention, Mm -hmm. your, your very appearance might draw that attention. It has an attractive level to it. (laughs) Attraction aspect of it. Absolutely. Yeah. These guys. Yeah. Or or, or, is that his or her husband? 
or why are they why are these two people with the kids and, that's and right it yeah. just well you know and you like, watch the civilians start the little the hamsters start running and, i saw that in the movie oh yeah, yeah that looks yeah. like this kind of a situation and it, and it becomes uh counterproductive and problematic for you whereas yeah. you know, a good female operator is going to be able to blend a lot faster oh yeah yeah Oh, that's good stuff, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Plus, they have way better trigger control than most men. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a couple that would come out to the range and hurt dudes' feelings, bro. I'm battling right now. They're ringing steel and guys are going. Yeah, 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 man. Because they're not, they're not struggling. They're not ego. They're not. No. They're, they're, they're processing it and, and just doing it. Yeah, with less of that torque, that testosterone that we get. Yeah, I'm muscling it. Yeah, so no, that's good stuff. Shout out to the ladies. Biggest pitfalls with regards to uh, interviewing? What I would say biggest pitfall is uh that if if you don't have a road tested approach, um, you can become the triggering event. Wow. And that's obviously problematic. That's counterproductive. So if you're talking about Mm -hmm. a workplace uh, threat scenario and you're going in to gather intelligence Mm -hmm. on what's happening, and again, with males, you don't want to be the triggering event. Golly, and, that's and, and the males, if you get in there and, you know, and again, and they're leery of you, they're, well, a not, bugged, they, they're bugged by the situation and now you're having this conversation and they already have aberrant dysfunctional behavior issues. Yeah. So if you go in there, there <laughs> trying to swing the big dick and yeah. say, Hey, I'm the guy. And the problem is, is that a lot of law enforcement guys will go in, especially guys who've had experiencing gang units and things like that yeah and they're going in with a tough guy who's making threats and that type of thing and they immediately go f- default back to that i can do this because i get back i've dealt with the hardest guys out there in the street no big deal I yeah you don't scare it. me what's up you're not there to do that man yeah you're the not, game's changed yeah now. you're not there to to impress them about how tough you are you're yeah. not there to try to back them down and say don't make a bad move because you're gonna to have to deal with me. Yeah, that's not what you're there that's to not do. The game anymore. You've now become the triggering event. Wow. You want to be the guy who is listening. You're not gonna be their psychologist. You're not gonna be their best friend. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be somebody who treats them. You're their side of the story. With maybe. professionalism, and you are your last best opportunity to talk with somebody who's gonna be a, a an ear, a good forum to hear what they have to say to give the particulars because there may be some nuances in there that really are kind of an aggravating point. Mm-hmm. And maybe there has been some mishandling of the yeah. situation. And maybe it's just a misunderstanding and this is their opportunity Absolutely. to clear things up. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And, yeah. and that becomes the winning move. So, mm-hmm. so the hardest part is you got to check your ego at the door. You yeah. don't go in there trying to dominate the scenario mm-hmm. You're in there to understand what's happening. Yeah. So you absolutely got to check the ego at the door. So that's, for some guys, that can be the toughest part. Yeah. Because, you know, we're all about that alpha testosterone. So. Yeah. I mean, if you're here, maybe you already had a whole, a whole entire career in law enforcement mm-hmm. and you're a made man in another circle. You know, That's people right. are standing up when you walk in the room. That's and right. And, you know, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, maybe you were in the sand and you, you fought in a war already. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and a right. couple wars and yeah. this is slow and everything else. So I find this is just private security, man. Because I mean, the same things happen when you you end up on a detail and you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're feeding the dogs after a month or two at the client's house. You know, if you, to if be you honest, find that, yourself there. You, you know? know, that is the trickiest part on on EP details is that, especially if they're uh, assigned to a family or to mm-hmm. a state detail, um, because where to draw that line, well, and how to play you, that game. And, yeah, because they're paying good money to have yeah. you there. If they're not, it's the wrong account. You should probably be looking elsewhere. Yeah. Um, 
And so if you're doing it for bargain basement prices, that's probably a problem already. Mm-hmm. But when they're paying good money and you're the insurance policy against the unlikely event of violence against them or their family, especially, you know, whether it's entertainers, celebrities, whatever, mm-hmm. they want to get the most bang for their buck. So yep. I'm going to throw a couple of additional tasks on you. Yep. Now that can be fine if it's doors and lights and, you know, uh, concentric rings of security circle on your right. estate and things like that. That's all good. You should be doing that anyways. Yeah. Uh, but that also takes the place and helps take, pick up some of the slack with a uh, groundskeeper or an estate mm-hmm. manager. Nothing wrong with that. It's all good. Uh, fire extinguisher or rather, um, uh, you know, the water fire alarm breaks, fire alarm breaks. Yes. Uh, electricity goes out, Wi-Fi mm-hmm. goes out. That might seem like peripheral nonsense stuff. I'm not protecting against you. Yeah. That's part of your intelligence layout. That's part of your briefing. That's part of your vulnerability assessment of your location. So those are all good things. Feeding the dog, nothing yeah, much. Not so much. But yeah. you and I both know that happens because yeah. it's an inconvenience and the client's paying you good money. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Wait, well, it's no big deal. Why can't you feed my dog? Right. Because it takes me away from the critical task of keeping you and your family safe. Family safe. Yeah, one hundred percent. That is the that's the question and the call you got to make on the ground when you're faced with that. Uh, yeah. And when that. you're when you're you know when you're a line agent, you kick that up the chain of command. Yeah, yeah. Respect that's when you need good leadership. Yeah, you know, yeah. to fight those battles. Yeah, and that's that's the second. Uh, that's the other piece that. Um, you get young agents, and I know you're going to laugh when you hear this, um, <laughs> but you get young agents yeah. who are squared away, mm-hmm. high speed, low drag, and uh, they're out there impressing the client, they're doing a good job, and then the client's all up in their business and like, God, you are the best thing since sliced the bread. The best ever. You are ever. You, know yeah. you are so Why awesome. Don't you just, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just do X, Y, and Z, or yeah. the chain of command gets broken down and they're communicating with that line agent directly direct. and that line agent isn't sending it up. Now the line agent shouldn't be obviously making that on the spot correction with the client. It's not their place to do that. Right. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I'll take care of that for you. I'm just going to notify my supervisor or my detail leader mm-hmm. that you need this and we'll get that taken care of immediately. I'll be right on it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. But you get those agents, they get that hubris going. Yeah. And they're like, the flavor of the month, oh, man. Oh yeah. That flavor. <laughs> before they know it, they're sitting there going, how did I crash and burn? Why yeah. How did I lose that detail? Yeah. And it happens like because that. when you have that instinct to protect and you do well at it, yeah. And you get those attaboys from the client, it feels it, good. It's, it's seductive. If yeah, you're like, man. Yeah. It's, it's that dopamine just flooding yeah. into that brain cage, and you're like, I knew I would be good at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like grand slam. And then before you know it, thinking about how you know, protect you, you before are. you know, you're inverted, you're flying towards the deck because yeah. you lost control. You know, absolutely. So. That is as big a pitfall with any new young agent Mm -hmm. getting into it. Uh, You you can be good. You can be high speed, low drag and do really well. Don't believe your own press. Don't do it. Yeah. And and stay humble. Stay, stay real with yourself. Yeah. And lean on your team. Extract as much information as possible. Ask all the stupid yeah. things. You know, they asked me today we're in the car and you yeah. know, just well and trust wash things through the, the vets. Yeah, that's right. And, and and trust your battle buddy. Yeah. Um, you know, have the client come and me and said this is that normal. Yeah. Has he or she done that before? Does that really mean yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, a real yeah. question? Like, I'm not really sure. I kinda got a weird vibe. I think yeah. it is cool, but exactly. Trust your teammates, trust mm-hmm. your battle buddy, get you know, and, and go through those filters. Yeah. Know? Yeah. 100%. There's a lot of strength in the team that I think uh, new guys really miss out on trying to win the favor of the king all the time. You know, Disaster. Nothing good comes from it. Yeah. Um, 
let's see here. Hardest lessons you've learned in the field. <laughs> so there's a question I always ask everyone yeah. this question yeah, yeah, yeah. from my editor. <laughs> um, I always ask this question. I love this question because I think this is where, I mean, this is where we evolve the most. That's where professionals start learning. Yeah. You when know, you have those, those issues and problems. So the hardest, what would you say the hardest lesson you've learned in the field with regards to any of this stuff? We're just in your career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I would say, um, I would say on the EP side of it is that you, the hardest lesson is you can do everything right. Mm. You can do both ethically, tactically, uh, from a customer service perspective, mm -hmm. and the client drops your account for a better price. Yeah. Because they think they're going to get what you deliver mm -hmm. at a cheaper price. Yeah. And because you're starting from a, uh, from a foundation of you want to help people, you want to do good, you want to protect people, mm -hmm. and you're willing to invest time, money, and effort in your time, in particular your life, protecting people, and then when they discard it like it's a dry cleaning service, yeah, that can be a hard hit because you it's not a lot into this product. Right. If you're it, your heart's in it like ours is. Exactly right. And so you you look at that and it's hard the first time it happens to not take it personal because you think, what did I do? What did I not do? And if again, if you're a thinker before a shooter, you're, you're, you're assessing yourself and you're trying to find where you can improve. Yeah. And there probably is somewhere you can improve or at least you can make yourself aware of the psychology of clients and how they think and all of that. That's and then perspective. stepping <laughs> ahead of that and, yeah. and realizing it, okay, have a factual assessment of, of your skill set. If you can improve something, do it. Fine-tune it. All that's good. If there is or isn't, that doesn't matter. Understand you are a self-contained skill set. Yeah. It may not have worked out with this client. They may have made a choice that obviously you know is not the better choice for them and their family or mm -hmm. their organization. And if price is driving them, they're being driven by the wrong thing for this skill set. Yeah, for this work product. Exactly. So, but it is not, it does not mean, it should not diminish your ability to do your job or to carry on into the next thing. It should not overly harden you and it should not uh, overly weaken you. Yeah. You've got to stay in that sweet spot in that yeah. zone. Can't get bitter about it. No. Can't let it poison you. No. Affect your identity. No. Your work product. That's right. Jaded. As long as you're good with your own self-check. And, yeah. and, and of course, as we know, Self-check. It's like before you jump out of an aircraft, before you click that static line, yeah. you got your buddy checking your, your check, yeah, check. checking your parachute in the back yeah. and you got a jump master checking you, yeah. right? And so um, same thing with your skill set. Okay, guys, you know, let's do a debrief. Did we do everything right? Yeah. Did we do everything? Absolutely. The client just was looking for better pricing, personality conflict. And a lot of times, even like in our shop, we stay away from celebrities and, and you know, um, you know, those types of personalities for all the obvious reasons. They like yeah. the appearance of protection. They don't like the cost and the like reality the of the dis maybe discipline. Inconvenience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the discipline of being safe and protection. So even the corporate types that are more business-minded and oriented, they sometimes will drop an account purely based on economics. Yeah, numbers. Right, because they're constantly, their business That's head is, I'm, I'm looking for better, the same service or better at the same price or better price. Yeah. And they'll be driven by those things. So you're going to find it in both areas of clientele, but not letting it throw you off or, or really sending you sideways, mm -hmm. but using it as a growing moment, a learning moment. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really hard. And then from a tactical standpoint is 
making mistakes or seeing your team make mistakes that injured somebody or cost somebody something yeah. dear. You know, yeah. fortunately, knock on Presswood, yeah. have had that happen where it, where it cost anybody a you know, life or limb. Um, there's been injuries. People mm-hmm. have been injured um, that have, you know, and it was just overreaction, inexperience, bad planning, mm-hmm. you know, hubris, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but to see that happen, it happened on our watch, on my watch. Yeah. It's, it's, I get upset about it, mm-hmm. but I start to immediately go in and go, you're leading these guys. What yeah, happened? What's going on? You know, what, how did you let them down when they thought that was cool or they could do that or that was the thing that worked. And so as, as an individual mm-hmm. out there working this business, <clears throat> continually self-assessing honestly, mm-hmm. and then asking your battle buddies, what am I doing wrong? What can I do better? You know, in your opinion, yeah. taking that criticism and then, you know, making it into something real. It's one of the most valuable things in the world. Uh, self-assessment. It is. It's hard sometimes and yeah. you don't want to hear it, yeah. but you got to do it. And then as a leader, yeah. as a detail leader, as an account manager, whatever, checking in, you go at the door, taking those criticisms, you know, mm-hmm being made aware, uh, being willing to be made aware of your blind spots. Huge. Huge. Checking the ego once again. Because what are you trying to do? You're delivering <clears throat> service to a client that can impact their life or their family's life forever. Ever, yeah. You owe them that honesty. You yeah. got to be real about it. Mm-hmm. So, And the most, how did they say it? That was beautiful. The most valuable respect to earn in self-respect. Kind of the two things you said really come kind of back to when you're looking in that mirror at the end of the day, yeah. after the dust settles, no matter how it shakes out, yeah. you know, between you and your God and that reflection in the mirror, did you really do the best you're capable of? Exactly. And, you know, if you did, <clears throat> I believe you can just like, if you knew, you knew you fought well, I think you can sleep well. Yeah. Drive on, man. Yeah. Drive know, on. That, that really, Tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that makes the, that makes the biggest difference. That's good stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. What would you say your proudest moment in the field was? Uh, I think you kind of touch on something. The, the, the antithesis of that. Well, yeah. you know, so. Oh, and then one other thing, yeah. sorry, that yeah, yeah, popped yeah. back in my head, yeah. too. And then you talked about pricing and yeah. financial drivers for behaviors and clients. Um, something that I've done and something that I've seen, <clears throat> and you kind of touch on this, is like this private security, we're in this weird spot because clients, you're not bringing money in the door. Mm. You can show if you're creative enough and methodical enough and diligent enough, you can show how maybe you save the client money or That's how right. you're, you know, your <clears throat> key performance indicators and yeah. things like this. But really, man, you're in this weird spot where you're like insurance. You're a and, cost center. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're you're not a profit center. center. Exactly. And, but at the same time, this isn't the type of work product that you want in any way. I mean, I just don't even deal with a certain, yeah, like you're saying client demographics, or once I hear certain language when I'm dealing linguistic choices from a client, I'm kind of like, I don't think this. Is, you're kind of courting your clients. You're yeah. dating your clients. You absolutely <laughs> you know, are because it's got to work for both of you. Exactly. And, and if you're hanging on, and we both know that there's plenty of shops out there and individual um, agents that, you know, you can get what you pay for. Yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll, they'll work in almost any circumstance. God love them. You know. Yeah, God bless them. Yeah, yeah. take care, man. And, and I hope the odds remain in your favor. But um, economic drivers are huge. And again, you've got you've to really, you've got to know your business model really well and what you can deliver, what you can't, because you're, you're never going to be financed in the way that you were when you were doing government work. Yeah. It's just not there. The mechanics mm-hmm. are just not there. Even on big corporate teams, you are the redheaded stepchild. You yeah. are constantly a, 
a cost uh, center. You're constantly a cost suck for that team. And so that, that means you can make no mistakes yeah. of any sort because you are costing them money. Mm -hmm. And if things are good right now, don't abuse it. Yeah. Show as much just uh, proof of concept as you can right to validate what you have. Yeah. And then accept the reality that those things roll in fluxes. That's right. <laughs> you right. know, so when you I see the budget cuts come down, yeah. don't lose your head. In yeah. Fact, I look at the budget cuts as this is an opportunity for us to show our character. Roger that. If we're if we're cutting some fat right now, yeah, we can stick around with these guys and hold them down during this time of you know feast or famine, you know, that we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, those are the types of things that I hope they remember. Well, yeah, yeah. Things change, you know. Yeah, it shows loyalty. Absolutely. And, and <clears throat> that that kind of loyalty for the right business yeah. absolutely pays off in dividends down the road. 100%. Yeah. Solid. Uh, so proudest moment, solid. Um, what would you tell new agents or civilians thinking about getting into this private security game, into this field? Yeah. I would say, you know, not to sound completely corny, but yeah. it's not just a job. And yeah. and that's the truest thing, especially for a civilian who has no military or law enforcement background, um, because it requires you to maintain skill sets that are extremely perishable. Right. Right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly right. And these are high, you know, these are fine motor skill, tactical um skill sets mm -hmm. that even with best intentions and good practice and all that is a struggle to maintain at a professional level, mm -hmm. maintaining themselves physically, maintaining themselves mentally, along with all the other things you got to do in a regular fulfilled life, whether you have family, you know, spouses, boyfriend, what a girlfriend, whatever the case might be, you've got to do all that normal stuff that normal, healthy, functional people do. Plus you got to do stuff that, are, that is absolutely foreign perishable skill. If you don't stay on, it's going to go away. Mm -hmm. It will atrophy. Absolutely. And you're getting ready to get into an industry that is going to intentionally put you in harm's way mm -hmm. in order to protect another human being or many other human beings. So you've got to be prepared for that mentally, yeah. emotionally, and you've yeah. got to be squared away from that. And, and physically, Physically, man, <laughs> I, I get DMs all the time. Uh, hey, Byron, I want to stand out and I want to get into the game. And I'm like, would you pay you, yeah. you know, six figures to protect you? If you looked at your rap sheet, yeah. if you looked at your CV, yeah. would it be enough, yeah. <laughs> you know, to you put your family behind? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And being willing to do that and own that yeah. and be honest with yourself. That's about where that. it starts. Man. You've got to be willing to do it from day one yeah. because it all starts day one. And do it again and again and again and again and again and again. And guess what? Here's a new yeah. slash. It doesn't get easier as you get older. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the game. Yeah. It doesn't get easier as you get older. Yeah. But now it's like, you know, now it's like you know, you're in too, you're in it too long to, to back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying this to the ugly end. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's you gotta have that tenacious mindset. You gotta have that never quit mindset. It's like, you know, it's like anything else in life, whether you're in academics, mm -hmm. whether you're in you know, military, law enforcement. It's the drivers that push, the motivators that push all successful people. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking financial success. I'm mm -hmm. talking about trade craft that not everybody can do. Mm -hmm. um, and you're willing to, to you know the odds are against you. You're willing to battle those odds and make yourself a better person. Because yeah. from point A you know, to point Z, that's, that is a life. That is a hell of a journey. Yeah. You're going to have great stories at the end of it. 
Yeah. And no one's going to believe you. No one's going to believe you. Single, no one, of believe you. single yeah. one of them. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah. Unless I, they were there. Unless you got guys that were Swear like, to God. You can skin it, God. skin it, whatever. Yeah. That's yeah. And so, but it's, but it is a, I can tell you 17 years plus in the private sector. Yeah. It's, um, it's fulfilling. It, it really is. is. It is what you bring to the table. It like is. anything else. But really, really in this business, it is what you make it. Mm-hmm. And what you bring to it, and what you invest in it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's not all good days. A lot of days are boring as hell. But yeah. it's just more time for you to hone your skills and stay focused. So, Absolutely. you know, you've got to be real about it. It's a trade craft. It's a it's a trade. It's a skill set. It's not just a job. Yeah, it really is a lifestyle. And what I think also I hear you saying, Barry, is like initiative, man. Yeah, high level self-starter. initiative. Yeah, you, know? you got to be that self starter. Yeah, because no one's your your clients probably aren't going to be make you go to the gym. Your clients probably aren't going to make you continue to invest in yourself with audiobooks or put yourself through more courses. You know, they're just going to think you, you're a professional. They're going to look at you and think that you're a superman. And, yeah. You know? and yeah, you don't want to be found out. And so I think it's huge. Yeah. That initiative too. Yeah. Like you were saying your principles, I don't remember off the top of my head, but a lot of them to me, I heard like, initiative man absolutely initiative from the enemy yeah (laughs) exactly right that's exactly right you have to be the one to to uh to be in control of that environment and and when dominate that environment yeah Yeah. absolutely Absolutely. yeah that's awesome um daily rituals or any just rituals you think that make you a better person or make you better at what we do yeah no absolutely it's going to sound kind of canon road because it's it's you know, probably because it's real, it's timeless, and because it works. Right? Yeah, right? Yeah. A lot of people do it this way. So, yeah. so you've got to, you know, um, on all levels of, of of your being, you've got to engage all of those things: your, your emotional, uh, physical, mental, um, spiritual. You've got to engage all those aspects of your being because mm-hmm. you are that whole being. Yeah. So, kicking off, uh, you got to have your. For me. Uh, my physical routine, my workout routine is always in the morning because I'm just okay. that guy. I'm right some guys are night guys and that's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, some guys are mid, midday guys. Um, for me, I, it's like getting up and making that bunk. You got to do it. It's, it starts the pattern. It starts that initiative. So for me, I've got my workout routine, which ebbs and flows depending on where I'm at in my, my cycle and my plateau. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I've gotten older, it's, it's more, um, it's more uh, real strength stuff that I'm looking at. Hmm. So it's some, it's a blend of CrossFit, uh, body weight exercise, because I'm looking at the long haul now, a mm-hmm. uh, little bit of free weights and, and uh, anaerobic exercises. Awesome. Um, so that has kept me focused in, in all that. The other piece is nutrition. And yeah. You've got to know, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a geek foodie all the way down the line. Awesome. And so I love cooking, always have, you know, from, Skin and snakes out in the back, you know, <laughs> woods to to supplement MREs and all that shit. Okay. Um, all the way to now, where I'm the primary cook in the family. Okay. Awesome. I come home after a day um, when I'm not traveling, and I'm the one putting dinner on the table because that's I love it. That helps me decompress. So, okay. but knowing what you're eating, it's therapy. Yeah, it's absolutely therapy, and it's getting you in relation to your food and what you're doing and all that. And so you got to have a plan about your nutrition. Don't mm-hmm. the empty calories trying your best you can not to eat out of a box yeah and and make it real you know yeah. you know make it worthwhile so you know have your routine that sets your pace for the day um uh you know set your food make sure you're feeding putting fuel in the tank that you got to do 
and fuel being isn't just a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah exactly. Being conscious of those decisions yeah. will get you to a much more high quality place. Absolutely. Than uh, yeah. being unconscious and being, you know, reacting and, oh, oh I got to grab yeah. this fast food real quick. Playing catch up and yeah, all that jazz. And, yeah. and you feel like crap and you're nodding yeah. off on the drive back from Beverly Hills. That's right. That's and exactly, yeah, because you, know, you, you got crap in the tank. Yeah, right? exactly. And, and you're getting fat now because you're sitting more than you used to <laughs> back when you were uh, right. out in the sand doing what you were doing. That's you right. Know? Yeah. When you're not burning, you know, 3,500 calories a day, a day just yeah. moving around. Carrying trash. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta figure that other piece out. And and the funny thing is, is when you get the nutrition part right, and you're mixing in the the physical activity, whatever your workout routine is, yeah, they don't have to be crazy. And again, you yeah. you you're, you're striving to be the consummate gray man. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you need to stand out. Yeah. So figure out your body type, just like uh, mm-hmm. you know Pat Max says. You yep. know, you know, figure out your body type. Are you you know are you a you know sixty four Mustang? Are you uh, an Impala? Or are you a Ferrari? Yeah. You know, figure out where you're at. There's no shame in any of it. Mm-hmm. Own it. Be honest. Check the ego, and do what makes you right. Yeah. And and when you are eating that way, and you're putting in proper fuel the majority of the time, you can afford to eat the crap occasionally. When you're on yeah. the fly, you can afford whatever I need. I need some carbs, even if some of them are empty carbs right yeah. now. Yeah. Some empty what calories. I'm We're about to be going till three a.m. I just got a bridge. That's <laughs> yeah. all I got to do. I got to yeah. bridge that point, and then you know, or plan accordingly. So work out, get that start in the morning. Make sure you're fueling up properly and doing the right thing which obviously includes hydrating. Yeah. Um, and then for me on the drive, I'll plug in. I've got, you know, I've got uh, Pandora, Pandora feeds that are specifically set for my mindset. So for me, music really? is a huge thing. Awesome. And that, depending on what I'm doing that day, what's, mm-hmm. what's on task for that day, uh, it'll either get me set up for interviewing and relating to people and, mm-hmm. and locking into that human experience and trying awesome. to interview and, you know, build that rapport with people. Or if I got to get out there and I've got to, you know, lead a detail or, uh, you know, put myself in harm's way more than normal, then I've got a different kind of soundtrack for that. Awesome. And I, I get myself tuned up for that. And state for that. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Set that mindset. So it's, uh, I get that going and then I'm launched into my day in, 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 in chaos. Yeah. It's fighting the horse. <laughs> busyness. My, my beautiful plan, moves. my serenity moment, my yeah. Taoist moment, uh, you know, uh, goes to hell in a handbasket yeah. and then. And then I just dive in. So yeah, but it, but you're so much more just well prepared. It's like yeah, you carry this like I don't know how you just armored and that's right. You're even biochemically prepared for it with all the endorphins that you've already that's released right. and the nutrients in your body and things are hitting you and you're just exactly. kind of like able to take it way more and strike psychologically prepared. Absolutely it's, prepared. And then and then different and, level. It, well, yeah, it, it really it carries you through those tough times. And then during the day, you've got to take time. This sounds ridiculous, but you've got to take time to laugh. Yeah. Find something, read something, listen yeah. to something that makes you laugh. Yeah. Because that immediate, that uh, biochemical reaction that occurs when we laugh has a real world effect on your brain, your state of mind, and all of that. And it's healthy. Like the colors you're seeing. Like, like every, everything. The music of your like, life at that moment. That's right. And so yeah. you can, even if it's gallows humor, you yeah. know, obviously, you know, consider your location, be situational aware, mm-hmm. but do something that makes you laugh or smile during, you. during your day. Yeah. Take that moment for yourself and do that. And then as the case with a lot of alpha, you know, drivers, you've, you've got to, um, you know, take time for your spiritual nourishment, whatever yeah. that is to you. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I'm a Taoist. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's a specific kind of routine and thing that I that I focus on and, and things that I read mm-hmm. that help me with that. 
but whatever that is, you've got to replenish that, that the yeah. thing that is outside of ourselves. Yeah. That higher state of mind. Yeah. Um, and, and Hey, look, if you're an agnostic, an atheist, whatever, or you don't even have your spirituality sorted out, that's all good. Mm -hmm. You know, cause the fact of the matter is we don't know what's beyond. Yeah. Everyone's in faith, but whatever, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. But whatever is, whatever it's is beyond you gets out of, outside of yourself. One, it replenishes you, whether you realize it or not, spiritually, whether you relate to having a spiritual replenishment. But two, it gives you perspective. Yeah. And perspective. Like an eternal perspective. Is so huge. Yes. So especially with what we do. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, on the protection aspect of it, but also on the investigative aspect and the intel aspect, we are preparing every day, ideally, at our best state, to ensure that the people we are tasked with protecting never have to experience violence right simultaneously that we never have to um envision violence onto another human mm -hmm. if we don't have to if we do our job right if we do our job right yeah. the moment we have to envision violence onto somebody else in order to protect ourselves our teammates and our protectees it's a bad day yeah but it may happen and mm -hmm. you have to be prepared to do that mm -hmm. and if you're not squared away physically spiritually mentally emotionally can destabilize you big time you might not be ready even right right and you may <laughs> not even realize you're not ready until exactly. that moment you're not ready and then that's a really bad day yeah so all those things i have the benefit of, of hindsight and wisdom to know that mm -hmm. you know over the years i've refined it but that's my routine yeah engage the body engage the emotional content of yourself mm -hmm. you know um engage the spiritual aspect of yourself yeah and find happiness in your in your moments and everything you're doing. One hundred percent. That's awesome, man. And that I agree with you one hundred percent. That's for me too, man. Yeah. By the time I hit my day, I've, I've I'm I'm like a rocket. Like I'm coming at that thing. Even if I can't make it to the gym, you know, it's a mindset. It's a get in state yeah. thing. You yeah. know, and training yourself to be able to get in that state too. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been like sitting in the back of a you know, in a chase vehicle on like a Christmas or, mm. you know, or, a, or a when I didn't want to be there, yeah, feel bad for yourself. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. just, you yeah. know, being able to just whip out that like gratitude and be like, Hey bro, you know what? You ain't in the sand. You're not cold. blood. you cold blood right now. Cold How exactly. hard is this really? You know, like yeah. no one's really actively trying to kill you. You know, you get to go home to warm bodies. That's right. You can have a hamburger later if you want one. That's like, right. You know what I mean? And, and you're just so blessed. What's, what's the saying? Who's uh, D.H. Lawrence who said it? Never seen a wild thing feel sorry for itself. Yeah. 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 Man. It's the truth. It is the truth, man. man. Some some people are going down to coal mines to do the work right now. Yeah, right? four year olds' bellies exploding with all kinds of stuff, stuff overseas because yeah. they haven't, you know, yeah, got parasites and things, and you know, yeah, we are see a few of those things. You start, you get some perspective. You get perspective. Yeah. So that's awesome. This has been a great time. Yeah, you know, man, I appreciate the opportunity. I really appreciate. Yeah. yeah, and and you know what I gotta say, thank you for taking the time and the initiative and the effort because this takes effort to want to share knowledge at this level yeah. that is that is an incredible thing and it's it speaks volumes about who you are as a human being so thank you thank for you. doing it i appreciate that man yeah. rising tide lifts all ships man. So that. i really try to contribute i, I guess it's something that really drives my behavior yeah so that's awesome to get it, that shows. Feedback, it shows it shows man that. keep it up heck yeah thank yeah. you and um so where where can people find you nowadays where do you yeah so you know? um it's uh you know, links and websites and all that good stuff. So it's uh, www.talentcompanies.com. Okay. That's the master page. From that landing page, you can launch out to uh, 
Talent CyberTech, Talent Executive Services, and Secure Strategies International. Awesome. So again, www.talentcompanies.com. Awesome. And that gets you where you need to be to find us and, yeah. uh, uh, you know, fairly easy. I have to say I'm not, I'm not uh, a social media guy. I, yeah. I don't have a lot of time for that. But, uh, but that's the best place to find me. And then, and then uh, you know, anybody that knows you will find me. <laughs> yeah, good to go. Yeah. That. Thanks again for Thank you so much. coming on with Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a good. pleasure. Awesome. All right. Boom. And to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place by teaching people how to protect themselves and the mindset behind that, the lifestyle behind that. You guys are already killing it. $1 a month. $5 a month, 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, whatever you can do that you know you would probably just lose in the mattress anyway or spend on McDonald's. Hey, you want to put it towards something that's going to good use? Put it towards a podcast and get involved in our, our Patreon account at executiveprotectionlifestyle.com. And if you want to find me, that's byronrogersmotivation.com. Um, you know, do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can to that Patreon account because it makes all of these things possible, ladies and gentlemen. So much love. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you for making those contributions. You guys rock. We're already doing amazing there, and it's just because of you guys. So thanks once again for those contributions. Boom. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. This whole entire thing actually just started off as a Facebook group that blew up and is one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing executive protection uh, Facebook group online. So if you haven't joined the Facebook group, join the Facebook group. Uh, follow us on Instagram and check us out at executiveprotectionlifestyle.com. If you want to find me, that's Byron Rogers Motivation. Com, and I'm on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook as well. So until the next podcast, y'all, stay sharp out there. And as I say it, one mind, many weapons. Talk soon. Out. Oh.